Hello, everyone. It's another edition of the TetraCast post PGS pre holiday craziness. I am Brian Vitali, and joining me today are George Foster. Hi, everyone. We've got Josh Torres. Hello. And James Galizio. Hey, folks. So we're coming off the, the backs of two crazy weeks of news, a lot of it coming out of TGS, uh, some out of that um, ga- game Japan, a few other James, just uh, yeah. game live Japan, game live. Yeah. yeah. A few other things as we go into the holiday season, we've got a little bit of wrapping up to do on some things from there. A couple things that I've shifted around. It looks like this week, it's a lot of updates on games and development trailers, a couple release date shifts, a couple of delays. Uh, We'll kind of just go through it and see there's no real big clear headliner, but we'll just kind of see where the natural discussion points end up being a lot of maybe clerical sort of uh, touching on these various updates as we get into it's already October already. None none of us got the uh, the preview version of the Xbox Series X, so none of us can talk about the backwards compatibility stuff that people talked about uh, earlier on this week, which (laughs) sounds really cool, but. We gotta be uh, we gotta start covering those uh big Xbox RPGs because there might end up being a lot of them over the next Damn, gen. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I would love to see Lost Odyssey in 60 FPS. That'd be great. Yes, give me Lost Odyssey in 4K. It's still 720p on Xbox One X. Yeah, it never it never oh. got a One X specific uh, update for it. That's it. Get uh, what's it? Mistwalker was it on? Did they develop it? Get them yeah, back yeah. in there. There we go. It is still crazy that whenever they tweet, they they haven't made like, I know they made a couple of mobile games, like a surfing game and things like that. But whenever they share any news on anything they're working on, there's always a clamoring for Lost Odyssey follow up. So there aren't uh, they working on this uh, kind of like augmented reality diorama thing for Apple Arcade still? Maybe I remember. Could, I I, I forgot you. what it was called. I I, I remember that. Um, just some Apple event they were showing off like a game that like they were building bridges on in real life and then like you could navigate them. I don't know, it was weird. Miss Walker is doing weird stuff these days. Yeah, they're just kind of doing like experimental stuff and people are just like, what about Lost Odyssey, Miss Walker? They're like, Lost Who? But before we go into the different sorts of various new footage, new news, uh, we'll just kind of go into what we've been playing. We'll follow up on some of the things we brought up in this section last week. And we'll talk a little bit about new games that people have been looking at. Uh, I know that George in particular has played a f- one or two things that he has been eager to talk about. So I guess I'll just kind of like hand it off to him and let him go first. Oh, wow. Uh, center stage. Let's go. Uh, so one game that I teased that I'd want to talk about two weeks ago um, is Hades. And this is going to sound hyperbolic. And I know I always sound like I'm being hyperbolic, but I think Hades might be my game of the year. It is Man, right away, huh? Really that good. Like it is one of those things where I, I describe it in my forthcoming review. This is a spoiler for the opening paragraph, or maybe the closing one. Um, I describe it as like one of those magical moments in gaming, um, where a game just completely goes under your radar. You have pretty much no interest in playing it. You're not even that big a fan of the genre, and then you play it, and it's like, oh my god, this is amazing. That's what I was going to ask. Like, I see a lot of praise for this game, but it's kind of a genre that doesn't ever really seem to get that sort of limelight. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know about like big roguelikes. Like uh, George and I were talking about like Spelunky One. Like that was like the 
one of the big, big, big roguelikes back in the game, uh, back in the day, that was like, yeah, this is pretty much a perfect game. It it, it sets out to do something. It really achieves it. Uh, you know, like a home run at it. And then you think about what other games did that in that genre. Rogue Legacy also comes to mind. Uh, but you know, there's a lot, a lot of roguelikes since you know those days of Spelunky and Rogue Legacy. Mm. And you you see that a lot of people try, uh, you know, put their hand into roguelikes, and you kind of see like you start to form a sort of checklist in your mind of like, what am I looking in roguelikes? So many are coming out and what really ticks these boxes. And you, you see Supergiant come along and tries to not only, you know, put out a really good one of these in the genre, obviously the art design, the art direction, it's gorgeous. And like, you know, the gameplay is fantastic, but you start to think about, what really makes a, a compelling roguelike to really break the mold? And Hades like challenges the genre a little bit by how you can uh, make use of the cyc- uh, cyclical nature of roguelikes into the narrative. How do you weave that into a compelling narrative that people want to see all the way through? Even though it's a very difficult game to push through, like you're, you're motivated enough because you're interested in the characters, the overall story, the interactions. And you weave that that repetitive nature of the game into fleshing out these narratives for the for the characters, the cast. It's like you kind of have a winning combination as well as you're there's enough variety in the gameplay to make uh you know each run feel fresh. Like you're not you'll never have the same run twice because you're either using a different weapon or you're getting different boons and you're going through like different sets of like uh enemies and enemy patterns and trying to make and trying to compromise with what you got in that run so george um are you playing on switch or what are you playing on or what have you i'm playing on the yeah the switch version um it uh, the the thing is with the switch version there are there are some slowdown issues but like nothing too major but enough for me that i'd want to play on another console if it eventually gets a like if they announce like a playstation port i'll be i'll be right on that but the switch version works very well um for the game's roguelike nature like at the moment i'm i'm picking up like once every morning i'll try and do a run whether i'm successful or not uh (laughs) it's debatable but then i'll put it down then play other games and then i'll jump back to every now and again but when the text size in the on the switch version a bit too small uh not too small no i mean i i haven't heard that issue but like i've I've heard i've heard it here and there but i was wondering uh, at your case if you found it too small it's it's sort of the perfect port in okay. my eyes. It's it's like, it's, I, besides the slowdown issues, it's you could tell me that it was made for the Switch, and I, I'd believe it. Um, Do you feel like then, you're cheating it, on Splunky too? Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> I, this is something I wanted to say. Like uh, two weeks ago, I was like, "Oh, Splunky Two is just like the best game. Like this is all I'm going to play for weeks." I haven't touched Splunky Two in oh, two maybe a week now. <laughs> But yeah, since I said that, I haven't gone back. Um, I I've briefly gone back to it, but I started just getting really frustrated with it. I, I hit that sort of wall where I was like, right, I am just not getting better at the moment. I'm gonna go back to it. Well, maybe even like soon. Now that I've said it, like it is really good still. But then it it doesn't really do. It sometimes feels like Splunky 1.5 to me, which Josh had the good point last last time we talked about it to say like it doesn't need to be something brand new and that's good but like it it isn't a revolution it isn't like okay this is completely different from the first game it is still 
Splunky as you know it, but then Hades comes along and does something completely different, does something amazing with its story and characters, and that has just like kept my attention. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a, definitely the power of narrative in that genre because like uh, I picked up the Steam version of Spelunky 2 finally, and I got to. Uh, I'm still trying to get through World 2. That's the most I've uh, gotten to, but <laughs> it, it, it's uh, it, it's one of those games like you, you mentioned. Like uh, Spelunky 1.5 is uh, uh, an astute way to put it, but it's there's enough different with it, but it it misses it. Like like it's like you said, we really like this game. But there is a certain aspect of Hades that you feel, I feel more compelled to to push through Hades more than to do Spelunky because yeah, it, it does have those like characters in it. You, you want to see how those relationships develop, who you're going to meet, who you're going to, uh, you know, just, it's just a lot more of a, a guided storyline to keep your, to keep my attention going in it. For those that have played, like I haven't played Hades. Um... Can you kind of give me just one sense to explain like how it puts that roguelike cycle into its narrative? Like for instance, Adam, when he was discussing Star Renegades, basically kind of said that the story hand waves it basically saying that each each run is a different parallel universe, which kind of feels like, eh, I guess that works. It's not really that interesting. So what does Hades do that makes it, you, you both talk about how it ties into the story. So what does it do to make it feel like really compelling in that way? Basically, your you're Zacharias, the son of Hades, and you're trying to escape the underworld. And since you're in the underworld, whenever you die, you're not really dead. So you oh, just come back again. And each escape attempt builds on the narrative a bit more. So you find out why Zacharias wants to escape and you find out the motives of other characters. And that happens every single cycle. So every time you come back, before you go on another run, you go talk to other characters and you're like, you get little updates of what's going on. And like, it's just that they're also like fascinatingly written. Like there's, I I quite like Greek mythology anyway, but this this is sort of the perfect implementation of it. That's really my, clever. I, I love all these characters. Yeah, it is. It's it's one of those games where the most I'd seen of it before was people on Twitter saying how attractive all the characters are, and now it's like there is a lot of my that. game. Oh yeah, and they're they're, they're totally right. But like, it yeah, does to be fair, they're all hot. So. <laughs> so so does that but, mean if you if you're like a god a god level player and you're really really good at the game and you beat it in like two cycles or whatever you're not going to see as much story as someone who takes 20 or something like that you know i did this is always one of those things that comes up when you play a game that's really difficult you're like oh i bet someone's like beating this with the donkey kong bongo controllers or something <laughs> but I, I don't know if it is possible to get that far like, I think it is. I'm, I'm I, sure I, you'd you have to be really good, but I, I'm pretty sure you can. It's theoretically if people, possible. If people can beat Dark Souls 3 with no armor using only their fists. Yeah, they're sure first try. They've never played it before, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Uh, also, every, do, time you, go, go every time it. you win, you're like, that is also a narrative cycle. So you win, and then you go back, and you do it again. So it's not like if you win, the game's over. If you win... You have to beat the game at least ten times to get the true ending. So, like, you've always you're always working towards something. So that's kind of yeah. cool. And in a way, they kind of shorten the gap between a successful run and a failed run. They're like they're both just runs at that point. I'm not saying they're the yeah, same thing. Really. It's just that they they make it so that failure doesn't feel so much like failure, and success doesn't mean you're done. No, I completely agree. It's it's the first time I've played a game like that where I've been like, if I die, you know, I'm fine with it. Like, I, I'll happily take a little update on the characters and 
like progress myself a little bit more and then try again. Whereas like if in Spunky 2, I know I'm nearly dead. I'm like, yeah, this is going to suck. I'm not going to. I'm trying to remember. I don't know if Supergiant patched it in or they were teasing it like in a future update of this God mode uh, for people who just want to see the narrative through. No, that's in. Yeah, that's in. That's already um, in. Okay, so it basically just my, gives you invincibility. My first time beating the game, uh, that's how I did it because I was getting okay. so close to the end. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? There's no shame in just wanting to see the story yeah. through. I could do it without now, but it basically gives you a 20% damage resistance. And it's like, it's just enough to turn the tables. Oh, okay. And then slowly I've like, I've gone like, now nah, I, can, I can do it without. And now I can do a successful run quite easily. Um, but you also get the chance to add these modifiers that like increase the difficulty. And it's already a pretty challenging game. So I haven't done any of that yet, but there's a lot of content here. Like, for i think it's 15 pounds in the uk it was when i bought it like you could play it for hundreds of hours i'm sure speaking yeah, more generally, it's really good when you talk about having this god mode buff just to kind of get through just kind of see the, the last fight the last the last part of the game um this is this is a bit i'm kind of divorcing it from roguelike specifically but there i've always kind of been frustrated when there's a difficult series of fights or a difficult dungeon and what's tripping you up is the last phase or the last room. And part of the struggle of failing, failing there is that you have to spend so much time and effort to get there just to practice. Mm. So the idea of having a toggle that allows you to just kind of get there and practice and just be, be able to get better at the game at that point that, you know, you were struggling on before putting it all together afterwards I think it's cool that more games are in- incorporating these sorts of accessibility options because that is yeah, like I enjoy like pl- I don't pl- I don't play like a lot of games like on you know yeast nightmare mode or things like that but I still you know pump my fist when I finally beat Garman at the end of Bloodborne um, without using any cheesy tactics and things like that. Yeah, I, well, I'm I'm sort of the same where I don't think I ever play a game this isn't a brag this is like this is a, an annoyance of mine that i will have to play a game on normal or above like i, I want to play it as it's intended and i cared so much about these characters and seeing it through that i, was, I, I just said you know what screw your pride just just get through and then you can always go back and do it and there's, there's no shame about it either it's not like like something spring to mind like metal gear solid 5's chicken hat or uh god this is this is an old one but in explosion man if you died enough times you could like give yourself unlimited lives but you'd have like a bigger butt or something like that like there are so many examples where i know that that's a weird one i can't even remember that but uh there's so many examples where games go oh you want to you want to finish this game like you want to finish the game you paid for you you big cry baby okay well you look stupid now and in hades it's just like yeah cool like do what you like i don't know the one i think of is one of the um retro studios donkey kong games when you put on the god mode, you have like the silver ape of some sort. I forget if you become the silver ape or the silver ape like leads you. But it's a tropical the... freeze. See that? Um, maybe, maybe it's both of them. Go ahead, James. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember, I'm not sure if it actually changed how you looked in game, but I do know that one of the Wolfenstein reboots, uh, like the easy mode, had um, the character at the select screen like dressed up like a baby oh so, yeah well yeah, that's a callback to the original yeah 3d but um it's kind of weird because they they don't really mean it i don't think really like super disparagingly but i think sometimes it can be read that way even if the, in the even if the intent wasn't there 
So it's kind of cool that they just make it completely unambigu- unambiguously fine in Haiti. They're just like, here, here's an option for you. Take it if you want it. You know, there you go. That's it. No judgment. No, no snarkiness. No leering or sneering. I guess is what I meant. The, the, the one, the, the, the one that comes to mind, uh, like when I think about like unique, easy mode, difficult, like easy difficulty modes, is uh, bayonet, is where you can play it one-handed. That's what I remember <laughs> when it comes Wait. to that. You there's play, a, there's oh, a there's a difficulty mode in Bayonetta that, uh, that like automates pretty much all your combos. So you can just play it one handed. Well, is there uh, is there meant is there meant to be like a connotation there? To I mean, you could, you, <laughs> look, you, you, so you you could you could take it however way you want. Maybe, how you want. Yeah, I mean, so maybe it's also for people like disabled people who only have one arm. You know, maybe it helps them. Yeah, Brian. Oh yeah, that's what I meant. Totally. Mm. This is a good segue. Um, a game that should have a difficulty option that doesn't, that I'd also like to talk about. Oh, it kind of does. Oh, I've ruined my segue. Whatever. Uh, Crash we, Bandicoot 4. Is the we, we've had worse segues, so it's fine. <laughs> that, that, was, that was pretty bad, though. Um, <laughs> Crash Bandicoot 4 is another excellent game that I've been playing. Um, it's about time. It is about time. Um, and it's so difficult. So, so difficult. Like I was playing it for review, so I had an early copy, and I was it was it was like quite late on into getting it um before the game was going to release so i had like a couple of days so i was oh, like this is uh, oh. this is a new game from toys for bob and it's uh, meant as a sequel to um the the third one the warped right yeah so it's it kind of discounts all of the other the ps2 ones like crash of cortex or whatever yeah. it was called wrath of cortex which is for the best really like i i've played every crash bandicoot game there is and i've enjoyed Almost all of them. Um, people who can't degree, see but... this, I feel like I am obligated to point this out right now. Um, George's icon is Crash Bandicoot. Yes. <laughs> so I right am... now it looks like Crash Bandicoot is talking about Crash 4 to me. Whoa. That is, that, that's basically them. <laughs> that's basically their marketing strategy anyway. Like, I love those uh, live action Crash things. This I, is, I do, I do love the live action Crash suit. Yes, that's pretty good. I love I love that that's just like one of those weird things that's come back from the PlayStation era. Just, like they've just, just gone... persisted. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I definitely I definitely miss like the old Super Smash Brothers commercial when they had that like, the full body suits for like oh, Mario God, and yeah. Pikachu. Ah, oh, what a commercial! Anyway, um, so it's about time is an evolution of the first three games. So it does what you see there makes it a little less gimmicky than it was in warped so you don't really have any vehicle missions um and it adds quantum masks and some new movement options like wall running and swinging on ropes and grinding uh and they're all really fun they're all really cool to use the quantum max i was kind of worried that they'd be gimmicky i was like oh god like you're just going to get interruptions of them all the time the levels but if they do appear they're usually only for a little subject section like in between checkpoints and they're actually a lot of fun. Like I really enjoyed using them. What do um, they do? So one of them lets you flip upside down, so change your gravity. Uh, one of them slows down time. That's the best one because it lets you do some really cool platforming sections where you're like running across stuff that's falling, or like you're riding stuff that is usually so fast. Uh, Does it work like you... in the old games where you know you had your standard mask and you had to like uh, get like two or three of them and then you can go really fast and be invincible, kind of like a star in Mario, or do you just like obtain those one-time power-ups to gain the ability? It's actually funny that you say that. Um, Aku Aku is still like your health meter. He is separate from all the other masks. You only find him in crates. 
these masks appear like they're always at a set destination because they're sort of like they're almost like set pieces to the level so you can't you can't go okay i'm going to use this now like they're it, the game chooses when you do it but funny enough i'm thinking back i think i only ever had that happen where i got uh three of those in a row and could go super fast i think that only happened to me once huh. like I, uh, yeah and that speaks to the game as well because my god the biggest talking point to this in my opinion and it's not a bad thing is that this is one of the hardest platforms i've played wow like it is really hard really challenging um, in a good way or a bad way well I, I it's mostly really good it's mostly like feels like it's there for the crash fans it feels like it's there for platformers and then there are a few times when it's like okay i'm i'm enjoying this less and less and i'm more stressed out about playing this like there's one level the last level of the game uh i had a a death total of 40 deaths and like i looked at that with shame and then someone put on twitter the other day they were like oh yeah my my death counter went up to like 120 on this level and i was like oh my god like, maybe i'm not so bad it is brutal like this is when i said oh it doesn't have a difficulty meter but it should that was a lie because it kind of does um you get the choice between a modern mode which basically removes the live system completely like you just have checkpoints it tells you how many times you died but there's no uh there's no lives to it and then there's the classic mode where you like collect lives by having 100 wumper fruit and then every time you die you lose a life and i can't imagine doing it on classic mode i like every at least i died at least four or five times in every single level like you get a hidden gem for doing the levels without dying uh i think three or four times and i never got that gem because every level is just so hard um it, it's I guess it's a bit different for me because I played it under sort of like a, a time limit. So I was like, okay, I need to get this done and get this reviewed. Yeah, so that I was extra, like stress on you know, every time you die. Yeah, exactly. So I, like every time I die, I'm like, okay, you set me back like five minutes of my life. Come on. Um, and I've gone back now and played it just, just going through and having fun with it. And it, it is still really difficult, but I would view it as less of a bad thing. There's also uh, uh, like a few quality of life things that they added, right? Like um, I remember they have like this little cursor that uh, uh, at your rear, so like you could yes, judge where yeah. you're exactly gonna land. So it has like a little circle, a reticule on the ground. So when you make a jump, you're not misjudging the distance. Yeah, uh, and yeah. it is necessary for some of these bits. Like I I turned it off after a while because it sort of became distracting, but only because I've played so many crash games before that it's like I'm used to it not being there at all. Um, but I think it's stuff like that, like that makes it a bit more accessible. But then yeah, there's definitely a skill level here. Like I think there's a ceiling. I don't think anyone's gonna be able to play this. Like, and that's weird because it's a crash game. Like uh the insane trilogy was sold so well because like everyone likes crash, and then it's about time, even like up to the second level, I was dying. And I'm I'm pretty good at platformers, I like them a lot, and this this was just so challenging. And that also, there was this weird moment. This is completely, this is completely off the cuff. But I didn't mention it when I reviewed it, and I'm annoyed I didn't. But there's this weird moment where you you're playing as Dingo Doll. Um, oh, you you can play as some alternate characters as well, but they're not really worth mentioning. They're they're only okay most of the time. And like this thing blows up in the distance, and he and he, he like audibly swears. He calls them bastards. I'm like, what? <laughs> what am I playing? I don't I don't remember Dingo Doll speaking, but maybe. Maybe I'm just my memory's fuzzy from like I, the, the most recent crash I played was like maybe a year or two ago. I did the first crash cave on Insane Trilogy. 
well he i think he speaks in warped and it might be no it's, it might be cortex strikes back no it is warped he speaks in warped but like he never swears it's yeah, okay. it was just this really weird moment i just sort of put our controller down i was like Am I hearing that right? And and he what swears happened? again later in the game. Like for the life of me, I can't remember what he says. But... It doesn't go dial dirty. Yeah, it's just weird. Um, but yeah, such a like I, I've had a really good couple of weeks of games. Like that is a Crash Four is a game I've wanted for so long. Like even before it was announced, I'm like, God, I can't wait for a new Crash Bandicoot. I think I've said it on the podcast like a bunch of times. Like oh, I can't wait for them to say this. And like I've got to play it and look at it critically, and that was really cool. I remember, um, so uh, Toys for Bob is uh, in charge of this, but Vicarious Visions also worked on it a bit with uh, like these visual filters or something for this game. Did you oh, get a chance yeah. to tra- uh, check those out? So every level has a, they're called inverted modes, and you'll knock them after doing the second boss of the game. Um, and they're, they're a good incentive to replay levels, but I'd be lying if I said they were like really compelling. Mm-hmm. Like it, it flips the level it makes them inverted um but it also like adds a visual effect and there's only a few that are really that distinctive like quite a few of them blend together and some of them are just repeated so like it's obviously for someone who's probably going to replay all the levels anyway it's you know it's cool to have but personally like they didn't do too much for me okay i think mirror mode is kind of a classic uh sort of playtime extender for platformers it's one of those things where it's just like some people who just like adore the game and want to get every like drop of you know goodness out of it will will probably love that Mm. i guess by that mark then having that but a little bit extra is is a good thing have you played every crash game between one through three through all the the vicarious visions or, or who made all the ones that like were the crash games in the aughts like all the cortex uh, ones travelers, travelers tales made quite a few of them and then yeah the, uh, at the very beginning at the ps1 is naughty dog then it went to travelers tales right i think so yeah that was for raf cortex and then mm-hmm. i can't for the life of me remember who made twin sanity but i have played all of them um wow. besides the mobile one that came out like the second Nitro Kart on mobile. Uh, I've oh, even yeah. played like the really bad Crash. Well, they weren't that bad, but they weren't Crash, right. like Crash Titans and Mind of Mutant. You're a fake fan. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Fake Crash fan. Ah, uh, that's no, for the ones in thanks, the- thanks, thanks for sharing your um, glowing thoughts really on both of those games, Hades yeah. and Crash 4, even though you kind of did talk about uh, what you were able to look at critically in Crash 4 since you were able to review it, not for us, but for um, PlayStation Lifestyle. Yes, that's the one. So that's really cool that you got to do that. Yeah. Thanks, guys. All right. Who wants to follow up? I can do it. Sure, why sure. not? All right. So uh, one of the bigger releases... Oh, this is weird. One of the bigger releases uh, this past week uh, in the RPG space was Genshin Impact. That's the new uh, open-world action RPG from uh, Mihoyo, a Japanese uh, developer and studio. Um, they've recently, their most notable one before this was a mobile uh, action game called uh, Honkai Impact Third. And uh, much like how Honkai Impact Third was basically Bayonetta, uh, it was a very uh, 
you know character driven action game that you had which time when you instant dodge it like the the inspirations were there the it's a really solid mobile game and i tried it out uh but genshin impact it's hard to talk about genshin impact without mentioning legend of zelda breath of the wild because this game is very much inspired by its visual style and uh, navigation for it where you have this really vibrant cel-shaded uh visual direction and a lot of what you do in the game is exploration. It's like you can pretty much climb anything. You have a stamina bar, um, but you have a glider that also consumes a stamina bar. It's very, uh, it, it's evocative of Breath of the Wild, and that's not, it's not a bad thing for the game. I, I know, like one of the first or one of the earlier reports for this game was there was some um, uh, gaming uh, event or conference in China when uh, people who <laughs> looked at the game were like. Uh, what is this? And like broke their PS4s uh, yeah, up I'm out of sure, it. I'm sure there were a bunch of angry YouTube videos of people <laughs> who disliked, how dare they yeah, trespass I mean, the, on the sacred ground occupied by Zelda. Yeah, it's it's whatever. Like it, it's okay for, for games to like uh, be inspired by other games and to have their own twist. Uh, this is uh, a weird one because it's an entirely uh, ga- free game. Like it's just, it's free to download. Obviously, it'll have microtransactions in it but just to get your foot in the door it's free to download and there's like a full-fledged game that you can put a lot of hours into there is a gotcha system in the game where you can roll for characters and weapons and whatnot and they'll give you some free currency to like you know get you started but uh you don't really have to engage with that system if you don't want to because they give you characters uh fairly early on as you progress through the main story and it's perfectly fine to just play with what you've got and not engage with that system uh the the setup of the game is your these uh two travelers uh brother and a sister like uh, i guess they had the power to travel through worlds as they're traveling uh between worlds they're met by this uh deity being that uh, kidnaps one of them so whoever you choose at the beginning either the the male t- twin or the female twin uh, as your main character the other one gets kidnapped so the the premise of the game is you get kind of dropped into this uh this world of Tevat and you're looking for your uh, other sibling uh along the way you you're you have this com- fairy companion uh named Paimon uh she's kind of you kind of have a silent protagonist even though uh they very rarely speak it's kind of like that moment in uh Destiny 2 where the your main character speaks and it's like oh wow that's that's a thing that happens in this game now i guess but it's very rarely uh like that uh and then a lot of the early game in that is you're you go to this town of monstad and uh, for a good chunk of hours you're kind of going through this prologue as like some um god they worshipped uh kind of got corrupted by evil and you're trying to free uh it from that but um a lot of it is like it's crazy the production values on this game. It's it runs on my on my PC. I downloaded it on my um, phone just to see how that goes. And I'm I have a fairly recent phone, a OnePlus Eight, I think, and that just barely came out this year. Um, I it looks really good on it. Like I'm very impressed. They got this to impress uh, to run on mobile devices. I don't know if they still have the 30 frames per second limit cap on it, or they un- uncapped that. But when I downloaded it. It could only run a maximum of that at max settings. Also, I I was able to still get to that frame limit cap. It's uh, 
if you're playing on mobile, I'd warn to I'd warn you about having this on it for more than a couple, I don't know, minutes maybe. I'd be hesitant to run this on my phone for more than an hour because it really heats it up. Oof. Yeah, it's a it's a very de- graphically demanding game on mobile. So there there are some things um you can play it on uh PS4 as well if you have that, but I've heard the performance of PS4 is not ideal. I've heard that like even the mobile devices, the higher end mobile devices run better than the PS4 version. I hear that has uh, a lot of frame drops on that. So I think the PC client is probably the way to go uh, on this game. Um, Aside from the Breath of the Wild uh, comparisons on how you explore the open world, because it really evokes that feeling, uh, where its main point of divergence from it is the combat system. The combat system isn't like, you know, Link having this sword that'll break in five hits or whatnot. Uh, Due to the multi-character nature of the game, you have this main party of four. You can switch out this party, like, I mean, you go through a menu and whatnot uh, when you're not in combat. But you have this main party of four that you can switch out uh, at will. They have like a one second cooldown uh, whenever you switch characters. But uh, every character is assigned a weapon and an element. So your main character has a one-handed sword and uh, the wind element. Um, the archer you meet uh, early on, is, she's a fire archer. Then you eventually get uh, a one-handed uh, dude that can freeze things and, and a woman, the, a mage that uh, can electrocute things. And then the, you know there are other characters that you, uh, that you get along the way. Um, and that you can roll for that all have either the element of of they have all weird fantasy names like you know fire is pyro, uh, cryo is ice, dendro is wood, geo is earth, etc. So you have these elements, and the the main purpose uh, of having these characters being signed an element is because a lot of the game to effectively combat enemies, you can do like your standard uh, you know attack string, but that'll take uh, quite a long time. To take out enemies if you're only relying on that as you progress through the game and they have you know one basic elemental skill and one like ult uh ultimate skill that uh takes some time to charge up um but if you only rely on normal attacks you won't you'll progress pretty slowly uh what you really want to do is every element that you inflict on a, on an enemy they'll have like a an affliction on them so let's say there's this slime and i do a fire skill um uh, they're, they're afflicted with uh, fire on them and what I'd want to do is go to another character like say uh, electricity and when uh, fire and electricity mix in that game they like super condu- uh, the electricity like super conducts I think I forgot the exact elemental reaction and then it'll like explode and then it'll uh, trigger an elemental reaction that does a lot of damage or if I were to put uh, a wind element on, when they're afflicted with fire it'll do a swirl effect where it'll suck up the fire uh, from them, but it'll like combust on them first. So a lot of the game is about uh, switching out characters on the fly in mid combat to uh, inflict them with elemental skills, and then switching to another character doing their elemental skills, and then uh, having elemental reactions uh, occur to take them out faster. Which is a really neat way to uh, handle combat because a lot of it is very tactical in this uh, in the sense that you know there will be certain uh, enemies that are already uh, afflicted with an element and say if you if you want to take them out uh, faster you have to think about your car, uh, party composition on elements uh, and whatnot and there are even like 
physics-based uh, interactions, let's say where there'll be like these big enemies with big shields, and you're like, oh man, uh, I have to get around this guy to effectively damage him, and that'll take some time. Or if you have a fire character, let's say like my fire archer, where you can do like a charged up fire shot on it, and it'll block, but it'll set his uh, shield on fire, and then it'll slowly drain like the health of this shield, and then uh, taking it out with fire uh, will obviously get rid of that shield, and then you can just wail on him, and you don't have to worry about you know tactically positioning behind him because you you burned it down. And so there's a lot of uh, interactions like that where you can like bypass defenses just by having uh, the right character with you at the right time and uh, tackling uh, situations in a more efficient manner. Does it give any uh, sort of indication of like if a certain enemy is extra susceptible to a specific element? Like let's say you come across this shield guy. Is there anything based on like the type of enemy it is or something on the UI that says I should try fire on this guy? Yeah. So the like if like uh, say they're, they have like uh, an element attached to them, there's like an icon above their uh, their name that has like say uh, let's say if it's a fire slime, it have like a little fire icon. Uh, right by their name and level and whatnot when you when you encounter them. So that's and, so and like when you're, uh, elements. Yeah, yeah. If they're if they're right. elemental based, like it'll it'll convey that right away. Um, and you know, a, a lot of this game is just exploring. It's not like Breath of the Wild where you're seeking out to find shrines necessarily. I mean, there there are a few temples and domains here and there, but they're not as like puzzle-based as Breath of the Wild uh, did. Uh, most of them are pretty straightforward uh, navigating through them, and um, uh, most of the game is about like fighting like treasure chests or like these uh, sigils uh, around the world where you can trade it into statues, uh, these sigils, to uh, like increase your stamina, gain more adventurer rank, and uh, adventurer rank is how you unlock like features in the game. Uh, that, that is like the one conceit of the game, is that since in order to um, like encourage exploration and uh, go through other systems, you can't just at some point you, can, you you're hard locked from progressing the main story because you have to reach a certain adventure rank. And then you know service games will be service games where either you do dailies to you know get that adventure rank up or like engage with other parts of the game to like get that adventure rank up to uh, the proper level so you can uh, keep on progressing the story. Uh, but I really like just the locales and uh, environmental terrain in this game. Like in the first area of Mondstadt, it's a lot of wide open fields. It's, you know, it's a, it's a lot of what, what when you think about uh, Breath of the Wild. It's what, what do you think about like wide open green fields? Like you know, there's some ruins here and there. But I think uh, where this game starts to really shine and like carve out its own identity um, is when you get to the next area, Liyue, and that's very like autumn fall color based it's uh the the structures around is uh very oriental very evocative of china uh it has a lot of uh verticality a lot of mountains it, it's just such a, a visual treat to like just explore around in this world and it's a very relaxing game in the same way that i found breath of the wild where you can kind of go, go about it at your own pace there are things here and there that you can do that you know obviously like since it's a service game there's like dailies and weeklies that you don't really have to engage with if you don't want to um but it, it's that it's definitely just a an impressive game to release uh for free obviously 
the monetization is there to like buy these uh, Genesis crystals so you can convert them into the gacha currency and like it'll it'll have that aspect of it um, to uh, monetize and also just like the the rates to like get like you know the five star characters uh, is is very punishing like um so like here's it, a go for it go for if it I wanted to play this like mm -hmm. what would be the main barriers of entry for like somebody that would want to play this for like free is there any sort of like stamina system which will prevent you from playing for a certain amount of time after like you've like exhausted it is there any specific content that you need gotcha characters in order to clear? Is there like, like, what's the deal with that? Because... No, that was my question as well. Okay, so that, it's actually very free to play friendly. Um, there's not really any barriers from just like picking it up and like not worrying about you know five star characters that are, or stamina system. There's technically not a stamina system when it comes to like you know freely op uh, exploring the world. And progressing the main story, there's no stamina system in that. There is a like a stamina system in like the resin system, where you have these uh, re uh like resin where you expend them, and then uh, one refills every eight minutes, and you expend them uh, through different ways. One is you'll eventually uh, come into these uh, things called ley lines, where you activate them, and then you'll get surrounded by enemies. You take them out, and then they'll open like these uh, flower pedal things called revelations and to open them you have to spend that resin stamina thing to open them and you'll get like money or experience items to level up your characters uh you can use it like that there are also world bosses like unique world bosses uh, through, uh scattered throughout the world that are like really like cool boss fights uh, for this kind of game and then you can uh, tackle those and then when they drop something they'll drop a chest and it'll cost resin to open and then th those are like uh, mats to like ascend weapons uh, and characters and whatnot, and you can use that uh, resin on them. Uh, once again, the, this this uh, resource uh, fills over time. You don't have to like uh, you're not really blocked from like playing the game at all after you've expended them. You can still continue on with the main story exploration and whatnot. So that's the only form of like stamina system in the game. Other than that, you're free to do whatever you want at your own pace. As for uh, gacha characters being um, like uh, when you get to the end game part, there is like an end game at the moment called like the abyss that you can do. And it's not it's not really like try it's only for really try hard stuff. Like you'll get like some nice materials out of it, but, but like what you're really limited on is time there because they're like time trials where you have to take out these enemies and they become tankier the deeper you get into the abyss. Obviously. Um, there are characters in the gacha that are more powerful, like the five star characters have higher base stats as you level them and whatnot. But they're real gacha characters are really only, like I say, necessary for those things. They're, but they're but people have been finding like free to play comps or like low lower rarity characters to meld in with their uh, with their play style to like clear those. Like there are strategies uh, with lower or starter characters that you can employ to clear those without and like just having a higher rarity character is either because you really like that character or to just make your life easier that's that's pretty much the extent of it and but the but they do a really good job of like making you like the characters like there there will be like side quests or main story uh beats where the like the, these characters that are only available in the gacha are involved in the story and they're they're really cool and adorable they have great character interactions like there's this um 
um, a lady who's a, who wields a spear uh, and she's a chef. And there's like this side, side quest chain of her, like, you know, her, you learning that she's a chef and how she interacts with like the certain town and like having a cooking showdown and whatnot. That's all like really well done and really adorable. And it's so, like, oh so, man. So the really... gotcha characters aren't just like a portrait, a name, a voiceover, and a weapon. They actually have like arcs and stories yeah. behind them. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're actually uh, really pretty cool. involved. Yeah. That's it's like well, a lot of the characters, like even in the main first main story arc, are like they're they're from the gotcha, but they're pretty central to the story. And you know that there's also like trials for them, like um, Venti, one of the uh, the five star character uh, that launches with these with this game, like in the banner and whatnot. Like you can try him out for free for a limited time like for like the like say the next few weeks before his banner goes away where you're just like okay like uh, i might never roll this character but i just i just I at least want to try him to see to check him out and whatnot and they let you try out these characters uh for free and the, even in the main story like uh dilik this uh badass fire swordsman like for a dungeon you can try him out for free uh he's just he's just part of the main story so there's this uh instance in the main story where he was involved he traveled with you this uh place and he's like okay you can try him out for this dungeon and whatnot so there's like there are ways to like engage with that character and like you you get the feeling of how they play and whatnot so i have one i have one question and then two like follow-up comments the question is a simple one um does this game have any multiplayer like components to it or no is it all single player there are there is co-op in this game you when you when you reach adventurer rank 16 just a few hours into it um you can uh, co-op with anyone and freely explore the entire world together or be as far apart as you want to be just find like solving like open world puzzles and taking on out world bosses the only limitation to co-op is that you can't like progress like the main story together or like like do any like like guided quest lines but there's still a lot to do out in the open world uh, separate from those and if you just want to chill out uh, together in the open world as well there's still uh, like a lot to do out in the open world separate from that so it's a fairly flexible co-op system especially if you want to like tackle like a world boss together that's like pretty tough on your own and you need help and i think but it's, it's up not to like is it's, it's all like based on friend system and session based like i'm not gonna log into this and then play with randoms like it's not that sort of game yeah it, yeah yeah it's, it's definitely with friends you're just not like uh unless you're just adding randoms but uh, no, you can you can uh, join up with your friends. I think it's like up to four people, and they all use a single character. Gotcha. Um, and then my, my two follow ups are: one, I do like it to see how what sort of tools that games use to try to m- encourage f- players to change characters, to change weapons, to not just find the most effective five hit combo and do that over and over. Like how you were discussing the elemental system. The, mm-hmm. the the two that I was thinking of was Fae Tactics has an elemental system in, in an indie game that released earlier this year where certain creatures will have a mana barrier and basically all damage to that barrier will be halved except for whatever element they're weak to. So you better have kind of your bases covered. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then also, this is kind of a weirder, more softer implementation of that sort of thing, but um, Final Fantasy VII Remake kind of encourages oh, yeah. switching characters based on how the aggro mechanics work. If you play as the same character, and also the um, the ATB mechanics, because your allies won't use their abilities to the, be- to the best that they should be unless you are constantly switching and, you know, you're, you're, tr- you're trading off aggro, you're using up your ATB bars. Um, 
I know some people would really, especially in Final Fantasy VII Remake, you kind of saw this criticism where they just kind of want to play as their favorite character and they don't want to switch up and they kind of, they criticize the game for that. And I, I do think that it can be possible to go too far. I do think that the aggro mechanics in Final Fantasy VII Remake can kind of be a bit silly. As how how, str- how strongly as soon as you switch to, for instance, Aerith, you just want to cast a few spells then all of a sudden the enemy is like bearing down on you because it knows who the player is controlling. Um, but I do think that having some sort of system that uh, encourages being able to, or sh- that you are most effective when you switch characters often, or switch weapons or elements or whatever the system is in the game, I do think I th- do think that that is a good thing in general, in principle. Yeah, and the, this game has like a lot of that. Uh, also, like if you think about party comp- compositions, it doesn't also have to be for combat; it can also be for exploration. Like there are definitely like elemental affinity bonuses. Let's say if you have like two win characters in this uh, party setup, uh, if you have two main uh, two win characters in that party, uh, like your stamina, uh, you'll move a little bit faster, and like stamina consumption will be reduced. And then it's just like, oh, this will be handy for like just exploring around and climbing places and whatnot, because I get to move a little bit faster and I'll be able to climb uh, higher places because it's I'm or or glide to farther places because it's reducing my stamina consumption. So there, there's a you, lot of like consideration. If you get in battle with that, let's say you have, so when you're exploring on the overworld or the world map or whatever, whatever you'd call it in this game, is it still that you have a char- a party of four characters? Yeah, yeah. So when you when they don't all appear like by you, they're you're you're switching them out on the fly. Like there's you still have like the same location, but they're just like being phased in like teleporting. Yeah, yeah. Like a, a a few JRPGs have done that, like Tales games where you play who's like in the party lead or whatever. Um, but then is the trade-off there that if you have two win characters so that you have this easier traversal, if you get into a battle, you've got one less element covered because two of them are now wind instead of having like wind and fire or something like that? Well, I mean, it, it depends. Like, uh, sure, there'll be like disadvantages, uh, disadvantageous situations, but there, there'll be other characters that you can have in your main party, like say like electricity character or fire character to be like, okay, I can pick up the slack here. And whatnot. So you're you're not totally helpless. You can also just run away from the battle and just like switch out parties real fast if you want to tackle that and uh, be more efficient with it because it's an open world game. I think that that's a nice, not too punishing trade off to be able to say like, yeah, okay, it, we're we're, it, we're giving you the option to to trade in who you want if you just do these few things or you know you know where the battle's going to engage. So switch out yeah. whatever you want to have in. My other comment that I wanted to bring up was just kind of a general one. Like I have noticed kind of not a ton, but a, more than I expected a lot of discussion on this game from places that I wouldn't have expected it. Like I, I've, I'll follow people on Twitter that don't normally play. Like I don't see them playing grand blue or, um, uh, fate go or whatever. Fate or yeah. And, but then they picked up this game and, I don't know what I'm an outsider looking in, admittedly, on this game. It's a game I'm interested in, but I probably won't ever play. I say that pretty often, I feel like. Uh, but I just do feel like it's kind of a smart marrying of here. We wanted to kind of do something slightly different from these kind of mobile focus, these mobile priority games, uh, but kind of implement some of the same systems in, in a way that we can have this sort of fully fleshed Zelda slash open world RPG experience allow it to be free to play, have that low barrier entry, have really good production values. It just seems like it's a, it's a very smartly made, they, they found, they found a nice niche. I feel like that not a lot of games occupy so that I see people that have played 
Arknights or Fate or whatever. Um, and then I've also seen people from outside of that sort of realm of gaming giving this one a try. So, yeah, so that's just kind of more of a comment on my end. Yeah, you bring up a, a good uh, point that there a lot of this game, and I, I I get it. I understand the the reasoning and the perspective behind it of like trying to overcome the hump of it, like just seeing it as like a gotcha game. It's like oh, it's another mobile gotcha game or whatever. Uh, the people talk about like you know the the bad rate ups or the bad rates of the game and whatnot, and trying to understand and trying to convey to people that there's more to this game than just the gotcha uh, on it. That you can play this like a normal game, and that's okay. Like there's actually like a video game behind this, like. I, I engage with gotcha games like you know fa- fairly often, and, and whatnot, and just I like I like seeing what people are trying to come up with because it's such a weird space. Like it's like it's not it, that's not going to be like a it's a morally gray space by by nature, and p- people all have their their different uh, perspectives and opinions when it comes to you know how you the monetization of these things and whatnot. But I like seeing what people are doing that space in terms of like what what else is there besides the gotcha besides the allure of like pulling weapons or characters is there an actual video game behind this what are some ideas they're either borrowing or inventing to like kind of drive the genre forward maybe they are they aren't but i i just want to i like seeing that because the, uh, as you see the progression of gotcha games uh going forward you kind of get to this weird point where we have Genshin Impact, where it's kind of almost like the triple A gotcha game, it feels like, because yes, there's a gotcha system, but it's so much more than that. And trying to get people to understand that that there is more to this is is challenging, but it's it feels rewarding that there there is something that you can point to and say, no, like this can be done. Yeah, it's just it's just very unique in the space that it occupies. And I just think. So far, it seems to really have paid off. I see a lot more talk about it from places that I wasn't expecting it. So I, yeah. I just and think it's that's, also, that's cool on its own. Yeah, it's also important too that like more like you know Chinese developers get this kind of exposure all around because you know they they've been working on games for forever. Like uh, Sony's uh, China Game Hero project uh, does such a great job of like f- surfacing those like uh, hardcore mecha and that. Uh, We've like seen a stuck few out games to me. That, like the um the Journey to the West game, I forget what it's called. That the Black of, Bukong, I believe. Yeah, like the, and then yeah. A, f- a few years ago, China Joy, they had that AI limit, which looked like a really cool like action take on an action RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how much success that they're able to kind of penetrate into uh, both like the traditional Japanese market and the you know overseas market. Is, yeah, is this on the side? One of those as well. Yes, Lost Soul Aside, yeah. yeah. yeah good point. That, that's the which, which I had confused with another game that looked very similar a few weeks <laughs> ago. But yeah, so um, this is... And if you go to our front page right now on RPGsite.net, uh, there's a lot of guides and a lot... We have yeah. an interview on this game. We have a, a preview buried through somewhere uh, on the website. Basically, if you click on Genshin Impact and see everything we put up for this game, there is... We've covered it kind of on a few avenues. So uh, Alex, Alex has been has done most of the heavy lifting, but me and him have collaborated behind the scenes of like trying to just understand like the finer points of this game and whatnot, and releasing guides for that because it is it is a very dense game with a lot of systems. There's a lot like like any action RPG. There's a lot of you know how do you level characters, 
uh, understanding weapon enhancement, understanding like character extensions. Uh, what's this? What's that? There's a lot of like systems in the game that like it'll briefly gloss over it, but you don't really get it until like you start digging, digging the nitty gritty. But, uh, also, so it, but also just like gear and a few a few mm -hmm. seemingly quest related things, and it's just like yeah. man, there's a lot to this. There's a lot of moving it's, like it's obtuse, but at the same time, like it's obtuseness kind of invites discussion about the game because it's a lot of people like it's in this great great phase of like people just discovering like how you get through the game together. So that you have the kind of this close knit community of like uh, like you know either with your friends or with the community that you join. It's like okay, we're scratching our heads over this. What what does this actually do? And or, it's a global well, launch, so sometimes we have huh? these games release where it's like, well, let's just see what people put together on fan wikis when it was you know only released in one territory or two territories but here it's kind of like this big collaborative thing of people trying to boil down this game and really you know figure out how, how what how it moves its gears what makes it tick things like that yeah and it's also just a really cool game to discuss of like hey like i discovered this at this part of the world or like i'm in this part of the story like this is this is what i saw it's like wait did, if i went down the video like this it's like it's because there's a there, like look I, i'm admittedly kind of bad at exploration games so like there's still even though i've like done like the first story arc and they explored like most of the first area there's still many like places in that first area that like i just haven't seen or haven't explored thoroughly yet and uh, it's, there's a lot of like weird like landmarks in this in the game that like you just visit it's like what the hell's going on here cool thanks for sharing uh genshin impact with us very unique game that mm -hmm. has kind of been a bigger splash than anyone anticipated. I feel like. Yeah, I I agree with that. That's so we'll kind of, we'll kind of see how much staying power it has, and once pe once people really sink some time into it, to see how they come away from it. Yeah, and right. I, I guess the 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 only other game I've been playing on the side too since barely just came out was um, Nintendo's uh, Super Mario Brothers Thirty Five, the the thirty fifth Mario game. Long last, yes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I was waiting for this one. Um, no, this is to celebrate the 35th anniversary of, of Mario. Uh, it's very much like Tetris 99, uh, except you're pitted against 34 other players. It's kind of, uh, they made Mario into a battle royale. Uh, well, after, you know, uh, doing the, that, shutting down that other fan-made Mario battle royale browser game uh, several months back. Yeah, I, I kind of played a little bit idea. of that. Yeah, the... But it, it's not exactly like that. It's kind of a more refined, uh, I guess, concept of that idea, where you have this uh, instance. It's kind of laid out much like Tetris 99, where you have this window, and then you have like 34 other windows from the left or the right, uh, keeping an eye on people. And you're playing through Mario levels, and every enemy that you're defeating, you're sending over to another uh, person. And what you're really fighting against is, uh, aside from like uh, the enemies being thrown your way, is just time as well. Because time will be ticking down, and every enemy that you kill um, will will add on to that time. And how much time you gain from them depends on how you kill them. Like if you jump on them, it's two. But if you're Fire Mario and you throw a fireball, and it's a really easy kill, it's just one one second gained and whatnot. And there'll be like uh, time multipliers that say you get this green shell, and you flip it over to like this group of enemies. For every enemy that's killed on that green shell, the time multiplier will go up on how much time you get from each green shell kill. And at the same time, you're sending all those other en uh, enemies to uh, whoever you decide, either at random or the one with the least coins or with the uh, least time, least time, most coins or your attacker. 
and uh, co coins in this game, uh, unlike unlike most Mario games, are actually useful. Where you get one for every twenty coins that you get, you can spin up this item roulette like in Mario Kart when you open uh, when you gain an item, and then they'll have items like it'll get you a star, or you get or you become big if you're if you're already if you're just small Mario, or you become fire Mario, or you have a power block that just kills all the enemies on screen. Um, and it's it gets chaotic really fast, especially um, how uh, stage unlocking works. Uh, when you first boot up the game and you play just the normal mode, you only have one one unlocked. And as you progress through like new stages, you'll unlock those stages to uh, to like basically open up your repertoire of like enemy pools. So like later stages, obviously, will have more threatening enemies. So there'll be like at a point where you're like just navigating, let's say like two one or two two, and then you'll have like three Bowsers on the screen just like throwing fireballs at you because everyone decided to send a Bowser your way, you know? And it gets, and like the enemy limits on screen are like insane. Like they could be like up to like 20, 25 enemies at once that's sometimes on your screen. And it's just like, oh my God, if I wasn't Fire Mario right now, how the hell would I get through this? So uh, you also have to like employ kind of like unconventional Mario strategies of like, okay, there's no way I can like survive this without taking a hit and i'm big mario so i just have to take the damage boost of like just getting hit and using the invincibility period to get through this as fast as possible because i don't have enough coins to like uh purchase an item and hope for the best so it has a lot, a lot of push pull mechanics i think rounds uh can get a little too long if like you're like in the final four like the final top four because it's a lot of um stalling tactics it's it's definitely more of a survival game than a strategy I mean, not a strategy, a speedrunning game. Um, there'll be like weird strategies where people are just stalling out by just like looping through one two because when you do when you use the warp at uh, one two, it's not always going to be your standard um, Mar like the standard Mario warp. It's going to be like you know you want to warp back to one one or you want to go to two two or it's just it's kind of it feels random and sometimes people will just like loop one two because it's easy to get through and you can just uh, loop back to itself. So that's like a strategy and whatnot. So it, it there, there's this weird like sentiment right now that rounds can feel long uh there's also like a special battle mode uh that like uh, ends for you know soon where it has just like different rules like everyone has like starts off with 100 coins and they're like dropped in like a different stuff everyone starts at a uh the same stage but it's like a little at a later stage and like the the stage progression is all out of order and whatnot so it's been, it's been really fun it's been a very unique take on the on the Mario formula, because by its nature, a battle royale, but it's kind of just see to, need to see like just the chaos that unfolds. And I think one of the really cool things about this game is that it it gives you a clear indication of like what enemies people have sent you. So enemies that aren't part of the standard level, uh, they'll show up on your game as like they're like grayed out enemies, like they have like a white filter over them, and it's like okay, so like uh, someone sent that enemy to me. But it's I think a it's, cool, a, it's cool to see like yeah. an experimental take on such an old, well-worn, classic style of game. Yeah, where it's I think like the, how many ways can we excite you with something different and something that's so well known? Just like the Mario 3D All Stars Collection, though, this is this game is only gonna be uh, available till like March 31st. And unlike the Mario 3D All Stars Collection. There's no way to like play this game after the deadline is over the 31st.
which sucks. I would like to play this game a lot more <laughs> in the future. And once that deadline's done, I don't know how, how I'm going to play it. So like, so the other games, if you purchase them, obviously they're single player games, you can keep playing them. But this one basically is like a limited shelf life multiplayer game. Yep. Can we think of any reason of why you would design it that way? Nope. No clue whatsoever. Like, I, I can yeah, sort I of know. see, like, okay, the this fiscal year ends claim. at March 31st for Nintendo, but I don't know what why you'd like just shut off this game too. Like, even yeah. if I don't agree with it, I can sort of see the argument being made where it's like for a single player game, you want to make it some sort of premium purchase. But for a multiplayer game, it's just like. I can't even I can't even like make the argument for them like we want it to be like this sort of transient experience that everyone kind of enjoys and it'll be that moment in history when we all played Mario 35 and had a great time. <laughs> I don't know. That's like the <laughs> only thing I could come up with. So we can yeah, all think back sure. about it poetically about how good or not good that was depending on what you think of it. Yeah, it's really fun. I don't get it. I don't get it, but I'd be, I'd also be super bummed out if they did the same thing with Tetris ninety nine. I'm I'm glad Tetris ninety nine is still love because I still have a lot of fun in that game too. So James, did you have any uh, comments on anything you've played over the last week before we start getting into the uh, topic section? Unfortunately, I haven't. Well, I've played a ton this week, but most of it I just can't talk about because everything's embargoed. Um, I but I, intriguing. But but I did um, play the uh, final major Monster Hunter World update. So um, if you've been following like the post-launch updates that Capcom's had for Monster Hunter World Iceborne, um, they just recently released Fatalis. And he is crazy. Fatalis. <laughs> um, so... Latrion, which was the previous monster that was added, was already like incredibly difficult, and people were actually having quite a lot of trouble like killing him because he had a bit of mechanics where he had to like meet an elemental DPS check and then also break his horn. And if you don't do that correctly, then you're basically going to wipe because he has an attack that if you don't weaken him enough, is a guaranteed well, almost a guaranteed kill unless you have like a full group doing very specific things. <laughs> Um, so everyone kind of knew that Fatalis was going to be similar. It was probably going to be harder than Latrion because when they first announced Fatalis' release date, they said that players would have to beat Latrion first. Um, now that's still true, though they kind of pulled a fast one and they made a separate Latrion quest with an incredibly weak Latrion that has like a quarter of the HP that you need to fight before you can fight Fatalis. So it's like, technically, you have to have killed Latrion, but it's like, not they kind, exactly. of, they kind of said, all right, if you if you don't want to beat your head against a Latrion anymore, here's an easier version of the fight. So I, enjoy, you can enjoy that while you then get to Fatalis and start weeping. I am of two minds about that. Like, I understand for accessibility why they would do that. It makes sense in a vacuum, except for the fact that Fatalis is so incredibly difficult as he is right now that it makes no sense that anyone that couldn't beat Elatrion normally should even be able to attempt Fatalis because they're just not going to be able to beat him. It's one of those cases where it's just like, well, it doesn't not, make much sense. Yeah, now you're just stonewalled at, at the next guy. 
And so yeah, for, for people for people who don't know Monster Hunter like by monster names, Alatrion and Betas are basically big evil dragons, essentially. Yeah, so in Monster Hunter lore, if you go by that, um, so there's Elder Dragons, which are obviously monsters that are classified, well, not obviously, they're monsters that are classified as a almost akin to a force of nature where they can cause natural disasters and stuff like that. And then there are black dragons, which are literally like calamitous, like they could cause the apocalypse pure dragons. And those are a step above. And so far that just includes um, uh, Gogmazius from Four- Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate, Fatal- the Fatalis Trio, uh, Dire Morales from Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate, and Alatrion. There might be some from like Monster Hunter Frontier that I'm not like thinking about, but if I remember correctly, those are the black dragons as they are right now. And Fatalis was the OG one and was originally the final boss for Monster Hunter 1's online multiplayer missions. So clearly this um, um, having Fatalis be the final monster added to world is a bit of a, uh, it, it all comes full circle moment. And like much like with Alatrion, where pretty much a bunch of uh, different pieces about his fight had a ton of like nostalgia for Monster Hunter Try. Like, there's a bunch of aspects of Fatalis' fights that directly call back to the original um, Monster Hunter, as well as, like, pretty much all the Monster Hunter games through Freedom Unite. Uh, so, the fight itself is very interesting. Whereas the Latreon had specific mechanics he kind of had to meet in order to not die and actually finish the fight, Fatalis doesn't really have specific mechanics. Well, kind of does, but not to such an overt degree as Latrion. It's just really freaking hard. Like, it has the highest base HP of any of the monsters in the game at 66,000 for single player. And you only have 30 minutes to kill him. And at least on day one, he was such a difficult fight that even speedrunners were having difficulty clearing him. Like, the very first, like, clears that you're seeing were, like, at 27 minutes, 26 minutes. So even the people that are known for being incredibly good at this game were having tons of difficulty even getting their first clear. So uh, the way the fight works is kind of interesting in the sense that um, it's kind of like a siege fight. And by siege, I mean, like, there's these fights in the Monster Hunter series where there's stuff like cannons, Belista, and all that sort of stuff that you can you, you can load and use against the monster. And usually they're used for fights that are not really normal. They're kind of a bit different, like you're trying to repel something, or it's a big, like, lumbering monster that's, like, the size of a mountain. Um, but in this one, you've just got cannons and Belista for this regular, well, not regular Elder Dragon, but for a regular fight that's just incredibly difficult. And it's funny because there was this one skill that before this fight was basically a meme skill that nobody used. But because of the of how harsh the DPS check is, one of the best things you can do when you're fighting Fatalis is to slot in heavy artillery plus two and use a ghillie mantle. So when you hop into the area, he doesn't see you. So you can load these cannons and just get a bunch of free damage right at the start, knock him down. So you start off the fight at the on the right footing. 
Um, Basically, most siege fights, and I can only speak to as they were implemented in, in World, but most siege fights up to this point were basically considered gimmicks, like super gimmicky, not very fun. They don't really engage with the core mechanics of the game. Or I've I've done basically all the intro stuff leading up to Fatalis, and I've tried him a couple times. I really haven't like dove in to try to progress on him. But it seems like the siege here is more faithfully implemented, where it's like, yes, here you are in an arena with the dragon, but you've got cannons here you can use, you've got a ballista here you can use, you've got a dragonator, basically read a giant mechanical spear here you can use so those tools are available to you use them if you want and it seems like people are learning oh if i slot heavy artillery which doubles the damage these things do and then i use other tools available to, available to me such as the ghillie mantle i can use them even more effectively so it feels like in my opinion even though i haven't cleared the fight yet kind of the smartest implementation of siege items in a monster hunter fight at least at least when it comes to world um, I would actually agree, and I'd say that it's the smartest implementation through the series' entire history. Damn. So, one other comment I want to make is that yeah. they really kind of went whole hog oh, wow. on in terms of leading up to this. There was like 15 minutes of cutscene. I know some people might say cutscenes in a Monster Hunter, who cares? But they really kind of give him the gravitas as like the final monster. They could have easily just said like. For some of the other monsters that they added, like Safi or Safi Jiva or some of the other ones like from the previous game post-launch, they just kind of give you like a quick like two-minute, oh, there's a new thing here. Let's go check it out. You fight it. You pick it from a list and you beat it. Or here, it's like there's really a lot of a lot of ramp, a lot of this is the climax. This is the final fight. They didn't have to do that, but they did. I would say that the entire Fatalis fight is one of the hypest moments I've ever had in a video game. Like, think, like, even just the area that you fight him in is so over the top and beautiful and just incredibly detailed. Like, even compared to some of the other locales in the game, it's just Castle Trade, I think that's how you pronounce it. The arena itself has this scale to it where, like, when you first start off in the area and you're in the camp and you look down, it's just like, man, this feels like it's could be straight out of like Dark Souls. It like gives you like major Anorlando vibes and stuff like that. And then it's when you grapple onto the wing drake to actually get into the arena, it's not like a cut to black and then you're just there. It like drags you all the way there into the actual arena. And like if you're at the camp, you can even see the fight there if you're like using the binoculars or stuff like that. And there's like some incredible videos of Fatalis's um super like Omega powerful like breath attack move. I don't think has been named yet. So people have like had all these fan names for it, but it just shows it really. Move. Yeah, it just really sells the idea that this dragon literally destroyed an entire kingdom overnight. Because like you just look at Fatalis and like he looks like a regular basic dragon, and then. You see his his like that major move, especially if you see it from the camp, and it's like, okay, I can see, I can yeah, see how. Yeah, there's a it's a tough job. This F, when you're when you've played through this game and you've killed a dozen different dragons, like what's another one? And then they're like, oh, that's the other one. <laughs> yeah, I think the thing I love the most about this fight, and I'll just be clear, it's my favorite fight in the game now. Awesome. Is the way. It, it's like the fight itself tells a story. 
and it has an escalating tension to it that really, once you finally clear it, just makes it feel entirely earned. And so the best way I can describe it is, is that, so that breath attack that he uses, well, the first two times you use, well, the first time he uses it, you need to hide in basically a little nook behind this, like, steel, like, iron door that's, like, covered by this, like, flag of the, of the uh, like, ancient civilization that died. You basically have to wait out there, like, hiding for your life. The second time he does that breath attack, you have to actively go to the back of the arena and put up a barrier. But then every time after that, you have to run through the breath behind Fatalis. So it's like an escalating tension. You start off where it's like you just, you can't do anything but hide. The second time, you yes, you have to run away from it, but you're actively putting up the barrier to, okay, now you're running directly through the attack. And like the phase one music to the phase two music, it's the same. Like the phase one music is just like, got foreboding is like the best way to describe it. The phase two music, it still has some of that, but then you hear like a more triumphant melody and points. And then in phase three, once things really get going, which by the way, the visuals for like when you put up the barrier is just something else because you see the barrier getting heated. You see things around it just getting blown away. You see it fall down halfway and almost like barely hold on by the like, like just against the fire breath you even see like the top part of it like just blow off it's just like the immense like energy and the and the hype to the entire encounter just never stops yo i'm getting excited i want to reinstall <laughs> and the yeah, I'm like, oh man i hope i can i hope i can clear this at some point i do too i don't have we're so far away from like getting to this point but man and the way he's describing it is so good the best part of it is, is that, and it's not even the first time that uh, a Monster Hunter game's done this, and it's very much a callback to the original game because it uses the original version of the of the uh, song when you do it. But in the original Monster Hunter game, when you use the dragon in your against Lao Shenlong, and I think Fatalis, um, it would play Proof of a Hero, or I guess um, the Final Confrontation, which was the short mix of it that didn't have the quiet lead up that was just like the climax and then went from there. So it's like, you saw something like that when you use the Dragonator against um, Zora Magdaros in uh, the main Monster Hunter World story, but this is the original proof of a hero. And it's just, it feels incredibly earned because by the time you hit it, you, and it only worked and it only, the music only ramps up if you land it. So by the time you land it, it's just like, okay, it's do or die. He's on his last legs. You're on your last legs. You, let, let's do it. And like the third phase is so dangerous. Like I haven't even talked about just how deadly this thing is. So here's, here's the best way to put it. No matter how good your armor is, you will be two shot by this guy's attacks. Mm. And the so third it's phase, not a fight you can just like gear yeah. brute force. In the third phase, if you don't break his horn at least once, he gets buffed up, and most of his attacks will one-shot you, even at, like, 1,600 defense and health boost plus three. Oh, my God. So he is incredibly difficult. So not only are you worried about the time limit, not only are you worried about the damage, but 
you need to make sure that you're specifically going for his horn because that's the number one thing. It's hard to hit because like most of the time he's going to be standing on his two hind legs and you have to deal enough damage to him where he fall, he kind of gets on all fours so you can even have a shot at hitting his head. It's, man, it's just something else. And especially once you finally clear it and then the original like um, Monster Hunter 1 through Monster Hunter Freedom Unite, like, quest clear theme just plays through it's just for me as someone that started playing back when that was the quest the quest queer theme and where proof of the, the proof of the hero that they were using was the one i was used to it's just it's just such an incredible fight for people that have been longtime fans like fatalis people were kind of hesitant about because he never was an, an especially great fight but they really did him justice, and pretty much everyone I'm seeing online agrees that he's the best implementation they've ever done of him. And That's much awesome. like when they changed like Jan Garuga for World, they really improved um, Fatalis's fight. He really feels like the threat that he was always made up, out to be, but was never really kind of. They couldn't realize it before. Yeah, it's just such an incredible fight. All right, all right, all right, Brian. I'm, I'm gonna carry I'm, you there. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna like figure out when I can slide in a day, just be like beat head against Fatalis for this, for this 12 hours. I'll just climb on your back and be like, oh, you can do it, Brian. It's just one of those fights that you can't really like carry someone for just because if they get hit, well, they get hit. And if they don't do enough damage, well, then you're not going to make it in time. It's just. All right, Brian, I won't get hit. It's all, you're good, bud. <laughs> you, you just stay at the camp and I will. All right. uh, I will deal with I, this 100K. I'll get, I'll get my binoculars out. I'll spectate you. <laughs> Ironically, though, it might be easiest to solo him just because of the way that um, damage scaling works. Like, all of the Ballista and the um, cannons deal fixed damage. The Dragonator scales, but if you basically land everything, like, you'll get about a third of his health down just from doing the cannons and the Romy Ballista and all that sort of stuff. So... So basically, in two-player, it's going to be... I know it doesn't scale quite like this, but one-sixth of his health. Or it's like, all right, now you got to work... Now both players have to work harder. Yeah. All right, I'll do one damage per half second. There you go. To help you out, Brian. All right, well, that was a really cool, varied, long, but okay, section for what we've been playing. Lots of roguelike, Monster Hunter, a new, surprisingly good, so far... Gotcha slash action RPG. To call it one or the other doesn't seem fair. <laughs> Mario. So, yeah. And Mario. There we go. And Crash. And All right. Crash. So let's just go into um, some topics from the week. And uh, some of these we might go by really quick. Some of them we might take a little longer on. A lot of these aren't bombshells on themselves just kind of like clarifications on footage we've seen some new footage some new dates let's just kind of go in order um and this order is pretty much a random order so just go in the order they are listed on the document all right so some of this is tying up some loose ends from tgs we covered off pretty much all the big news the last two weeks uh but if there was a few things that i think happened like during the day of the podcast recording or soon before or just after and one of them was some comments about the dev team or from the dev team about Final Fantasy 16. So there was an interview, uh, or not an interview, there were just some comments made from producer Naoki Yoshida 
uh, alongside some square other Square Enix execs about what they showed in that initial trailer for Final Fantasy 16. So some of the comments here that I thought were interesting is that they they made a reply to where people were talking about the visual presentation of the game. Uh, you know, at the high end, people said, you know, it doesn't quite look as good as, you know, other next gen um, showcases that we've seen so far. And at the low end, people were saying, I thought this was an ex another expansion to Final Fantasy 14 or whatever, <laughs> which is a little bit like, eh, it doesn't look quite, it doesn't look like that. Um, but basically what they said is um, that, let's see if I can find the actual quote here. They said, we haven't I done any optimization or tuning with it at all. So it's it's quite quite troublesome, especially when it's going to be compared with titles that are coming out soon. However, they felt, and this is Yoshida talking, um, that with a, if they did like a pre-rendered CG trailer, they would get comments like "See you again in 2035," and he he specifically calls out <laughs> Americans here. So basically, uh, he said that they wanted to give, uh, and this game has been in development seemingly for several years now um, since the launch of Heavensward, because that's kind of the primary team behind it so they wanted to give a very faithful this is how it looks as it is right now gameplay focused trailer despite the shortcomings that they haven't had the time to really tune it up visually that the sort of things that you do as you go towards release so they wanted to give basically something that was actually moving actually representative of the game um go ahead yeah, I really think that's a. It was smart to to address this, and I really like Yoshida's perspective on this. Uh, I think he made also made a comment that like, instead of a flashy, like three D CG trailer or teaser or whatnot, he wanted to give people a taste of like what it actually looks in engine, in motion, what action, what what the gameplay will look like, just straight up, like for an announcement trailer for this game to give provide that much info, and like just present the game as is. I think. People should be more excited that like they went ahead and did this instead of like a twenty second or thirty second three D CG trailer of like you don't know how the game's gonna play, uh, but I I just think I'd rather see more game announcements be like this of like this is what the game actually looks like and this is what you're gonna see when you play the game. Yeah, and then, uh, I like how they uh, have the bravery to do that. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. George. I think as well, like it looks. We've only obviously seen like the briefest of well not even brief, but we haven't seen how detailed like the gameplay mechanics are at the moment. But like it looks so far like it's gonna play quite differently to what we've seen in Final Fantasy. So I think it was smart to get that out of the way as well. Like there's clearly a bit more of a action focus. Um and to showcase that like up front, I think that's smart because that's like that's got me hooked straight away. And for the people who are eventually gonna be like, oh what? This is gonna this is gonna play really differently. Like they've shown us that. Like we, we have some expectations now. It's interesting to see the sort of speculation that you get on a CG trailer where people are wondering like the lore connections, the characters, what's going on, where now when you have this, people can say, are there party mechanics? How do they how do the um icons fit in? Like you can actually have gameplay focused speculation, which you couldn't have before. Um, and then they do mention that there is a plan that before the end of the month, before the end of October, they do plan on launching a teaser site, which would give some detail about the characters in the world. But they say that there aren't going to be any major new announcements until next year, which I think is, you know, fine. But it seems like they haven't stated this outright, I don't believe, but it seems like they're trying to give the impression that this game has had some time put into it. It's pretty far along. It's not 2035. 
we might see this <laughs> within the first couple of years of next gen's release. Um, obviously, they have not nailed down a date, and that is some speculation on my part, but that seems to be the sort of message that they're trying to put across. Another comment I'll have is um, we saw some of this also from the other side of the world when CD Projekt first showed off Cyberpunk. They were very, I don't know if you remember this, E3 2017, I believe, maybe 18, where they had like disclaimer upon disclaimer saying, here is the game as we have it now, but it might not be representative. They had it before the back, they had it before uh, the um, yeah. behind the scenes showing. Then when they revealed it on YouTube earlier or later that year, they had a big like disclaimer either at the front or the end of that message. So you see, you kind of see the trepidation where people or developers are hesitant to show games in development because they realize things are going to change and some people are not going to take that well. A lot of people don't know how game development works. That's that's the long and short of it. Of like, you, a lot of the people on internet are just like, well, they they think they always think what they what they're, they're seeing is like going to be a hundred percent the final product, and it's like, oh, it looks so so early. This looks like shit. What the fuck are they doing? And it's like, dude, this is still a work in progress. Like, there's still there's still a lot of things to be done. They already told you, like, no, fuck, what the fuck are they doing? Like, and one thing, I, obviously, I'm not a game developer, but I understand that I don't know what I don't know, and I keep that in the front of my mind. <laughs> um, but one thing that, I, that you do also see that I think developers at least come across as scared to do is um, whenever people bring up cut content, they always there always seems to be this general vibe of, man, that sounds so good. I can't believe they cut that, or I can't believe that they peeled that back, like in terms of like the um, life paths in... Cyberpunk, I forget exactly what the mechanic was, but there was something that they detailed early on that they ended up cutting. Uh, and then you also saw that with, you know, more, maybe more high profile with all the stuff that was cut out of the initial versus 13 trailers when that got shifted to be 15. But then you, like, I, I kind of have the mindset like, well, yeah, that sounds nice. But when we envision it as it is in our imagination, we envision it as its most perfect ideal sense of what it was. We don't see the the headaches, the problems, whatever ended up causing it to be sidelined in the first place. Like, yeah, I mean, we, we see it a lot, like, especially when it comes to, like, yeah, the E3 presentation versus the final product. Oh, what were the puddles like in Spider-Man at this E3 showcase? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, God. <laughs> or, or, the, or the Witcher 3 combat demo that was behind the closed doors, and it's like, oh, it's nothing like the final product. Why didn't they stick with this in the, uh, in the pre-release and whatnot, the pre-release form? It looks so good. And the lighting and Dark Souls too. And sure, I'm sure some of those were legitimate losses where they end up being cut to just to meet a to meet a release date or to meet you know some sort of publishing deal. But I feel like a lot of those, obviously, if something was marketed as being such this great thing, the developers aren't going to cut that just to spite you. And I know I know no one really believes that, but sometimes you see some of the vitriol when something is different from what was initially presented. They don't developers feel like aren't like screw you, you know. <laughs> like they're not like, oh, well, we showed this really cool thing. It's like, well, we're just gonna take it out just because. Fuck you, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I just always try to keep that in my mind whenever I see something change, where it's like, okay, we don't have the details. We don't know what we don't know. There was likely an issue that would cause it from. It's on the cutting room floor for a reason. And now I'm sure some of those times the reason is pretty trivial, but I feel like more often than not, that's likely not the case. So I'm very glad to, to to tie this back in that they say this is 
Final Fantasy 16 as it is now. We're not trying to gussy it up with a a CG montage of just interesting ideas. And then like people can just go on no more level speculation about all the intrigue that it introduces or whatever. They're just like, nope, here it is as it is. And you either enjoy it. You might think it doesn't look as nice as some other games that are releasing right away, but they're aware of that. And they still think that that's the better option for showcasing their game. I just think of like the, for me, like I'm probably the weird one here, but I really like it when game developers like show show like such an early build of the game where they need to like go to a debug menu to properly navigate like app assets of their game and like even like spot in enemies like oh they have to go through a debug menu at the moment and do that like when they did it for the near replicant showcase at tgs or uh, another one i just thought of is um larian when they demo their games and it just breaks on screen and they're just like oh well that's that's how it is right now like they're not afraid to just be that genuine you know we're not we're not going to pretend it's a perfect product three years yeah, after release. <laughs> another one that like pops to mind like a, uh, a few months ago was when they announced the remake of uh, Fate Extra, the last record thing where they announced it. And then they went to like a gameplay showcase and like they just debug menus all over the place. But it's like, <laughs> this is what it looks like right now. And this is like how battles like, you know, are right now. It's like pretty cool, huh? And then it's like, OK, sure. Yeah, with all those considerations in mind, with all those considerations in mind, I do think that Final Fantasy 16 showing was still really strong. Yeah. Um, obviously, people have, uh, I don't know, a trepidation. They, they, they're they like, I hope there's a party. I hope, but we don't know if that there isn't, just that there's no evidence right. of one yet or whatever. Here's the, here, here's the real question out of this. What are What do you want to see on the teaser website launching sometime this month? A character name, I think, like the main character's name. I want confirmation that uh, Masayoshi Soken's doing the soundtrack. That would be a good. I want. One. I want there to be like a like a character listing for Joshua and Bloodstained Joshua. Hmm. That's. What I, I think it'd be really cool just to see maybe not a complete listing, but a partial listing of all the uh, icons, the Aeon summons, whatever you want to call them in this game. Yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah. I, I I always just enjoy seeing like. Here is Phoenix. Phoenix has been in a dozen, maybe not a dozen, a lot of uh, Final Fantasy games. Or Shiva, I guess that's a better example. Here's Shiva. Shiva has been in a, a bunch of Final Fantasy games. Here is, because how many ways can you represent like the same general idea? You feel like eventually you'd run out of ideas, but they never really ever seem to. There's always, and then like even more simple creatures like the, the Coral and the Malboro that they showed. The Malboro looks super vicious. It really looks... Oh, you know, yeah. This comparison I, has been made a million times, but it really looks like Witcher-fied. Like, damn, this is a this is something that would be like terrorizing a town. Like, don't go into the swamp. The Malboro's out there or something. Or in some other games, like Crystal Chronicles, he's just like sitting at the end of the forest for you to. I actually would really love like a uh, like a progression of like classic Final Fantasy uh, enemies that have been in like a lot of entries. It's like the progression of like their design over the years from like their their pixel art to what they look like now. That'd be great. I want to see like what like a Tonberry looks like in this game or something oh. like that. Oh. That would be like so basically, I guess to generalize, I would love to see just like artwork and details like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, obviously we will uh we will share and comment on that whenever it goes live, uh supposedly before the end of the month. And then we will obviously follow up next year when they release more details about this game. I actually think that might have been it for TGS stuff. Uh, we'll see as we go through the list. Um, the next one is 
the new DLC for Pokemon Sword and Shield. This is the second one, uh, the Crown Tundra, which follows after the Isle of Armor that released earlier this year. So the Crown Tundra releases on October 22nd. Uh, we learned a bit about some of the systems in play there, uh, including Gigantamax Metal Metal, a couple systems involving uh, where you borrow Pokemon and they, they come with fixed levels. And I think a lot of Pokemon games have kind of done this sort of stuff with their Battle Isles and Battle Towers. Uh, I think, James, you had a pretty positive impression of Isle of Armor. So I think you have... Kind, I don't, I don't want to say you're hyped, but you have, you're, you kind of have decent expectations for this. Yeah, basically, uh, <laughs> to say that I was uh, disappointed with the base game uh, Sword and Shield would be an understatement. Uh, you can just look at the review to see that much. But I thought that Isle of Armor was a surprisingly really good like return to form and was very promising for the future of the series that I frankly had almost entirely given up on after Sword and Shield. So I'm excited to see if uh, Crown Tundra is more of that, because if it is, that would uh, basically uh, redeem uh, Sword and Shield in my eyes. They're uh, bringing all the legendaries back from the past games in yeah, this one. Yeah, pretty much all of them. That's pretty cool. I, isn't there like a new system in this one where you can uh, yeah. pair up your favorite character in the game or one of the story characters that you like? Yeah, so there's something like, um, I guess the best, like comparison would be it seems like the the new end game kind of uh, battle thing is kind of similar to the pokemon world tournament in black 2 and white 2 in the sense that it's like a tournament bracket type thing and like the people that you're battling is somewhat random it looks to be double battles too because i um you're battling with people and there's like duos you're fighting or something like that obviously i'm not entirely sure but that's something uh one of the new systems that seems to be in play with Isle of Armor is that when you're going for these legendary Pokemon, there's like almost like Dynamax dungeons where you're like fighting group like waves of Dynamax Pokemon in a predetermined group to get to the end of the dungeon to fight the legendary Pokemon to have a chance of capturing it, which is interesting because it's almost like a raid in that sense, like an actual raid instead of just some some of the uh, stuff in the base game. So it's, it's just interesting to think that this is the Pokemon release for this year. Like very, very different sort of style compared to like this annualized series that we've seen for so long. We obviously have Pokemon Snap too uh, at some point next year, but for this year, New this Pokemon is it. Snap. Or yeah, whatever it's called. Um, <laughs> so it's just, and I think I think that's kind of necessary. Like obviously, as development costs and time and you know, resources needed goes up to have expect this series to continually be annualized in like full releases every year. I think was just kind of like unsustainable for lack of a better word. So th I think it seems like a smart compromise. Like, yeah, we released this last year. We've taken some of the feedback, the criticism, we've implemented some things that maybe we wanted to implement earlier and we've, uh, we're packaging it in a new release for, for this fall, for this uh, holiday season. I think the the coolest sorry, but I just have to mention. I think the coolest thing from the the Pokemon news that was shared uh, this past week was they showed a, a music video in that uh, Pokemon Direct, and they had like the Japanese band Bump of Chicken. Oh yeah, uh, it, it is such like a even if you weren't like a Pokemon fan like like in the past whatever years, like you're just like a Gen One Gen Two fan. 
or like just played like you know a few Pokemon games here and there in the DS 3DS era. It is such like a big grand callback throughout the whole series of games that like it just tugs at your heartstrings. It's like oh, even if you're not, even if you might like not know like the entire thing, there'll be like specific moments in it if you've ever engaged with the series that like oh that really calls to me. Oh, you see like Gary like you know with all his Pokemon, or you see like Red and Blue like you know at their at their respective showdowns and and like or you see the uh, the black to uh, black two crew like the progression of that you know uh these characters uh it's so it's so good like i hadn't um i hadn't played pokemon since platinum but even i was like man this made me all nostalgic for pokemon like just watching that video i love it i almost teared up i was like i don't even care about pokemon that much anymore but they're still getting to me and then um there are also a bunch of pikachus that you can capture uh with the online connection wearing the different region hats so those <laughs> yeah you can get access pikachu yeah um yeah so uh if you really want to collect them all in terms of variations of pikachu hats you'll have that if you really want to steal ash's pikachu you can do it but yeah, what happened to like, ash <laughs> Uh, well, he's red in the games. I never quite oh. keep track of like how that all works. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's only three weeks away. So DLC looks interesting. Uh, God, it's going to suck to try and have to cover that with uh, everything else on my plate. But uh, <laughs> it's going to be a very oh, busy. Are, season. are you telling me late October into November is a busy time? <sighs> Who would have thought? This year has been forever long. <laughs> This 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 year has felt like five years, but we're finally getting into like the, this this entire like last stretch of the year is basically everything got delayed from like the year sucking. So here's where we put everything. Uh, the, just the, <laughs> just to make it by the end of the year. It's like okay, thanks, cool. Yeah, it's cool that we finally all those October releases that felt so ever far away are now like oh wait, that's this month. It took forever to get yeah. here, but we're here now. Yeah, I think the brunt of it is going to be November. It's just, and that's not, there's also going to be a scheduling nightmare. It's like, okay, so when do we actually schedule Game of the Year stuff? Like, there, there has to be a cutoff. Yeah, oh, well, usually sometime early December is when our site does the cutoff. Uh, but we'll have to see whenever people are available to start discussing that. But yeah, yeah. it's the time of the year. we got to start thinking about it. Here's a little bit of a footnote that was just announced uh, this week through Famitsu. But Trials of Mana, which did release this year, believe it or not, the remake, uh, has announced a pretty major update where they're adding a new difficulty option for the game, which is tentatively titled No Future. I don't know if this has been officially um, got an English version of the name uh, yet, but one of the who who reviewed Trials of Mana? Was it Adam or was it George? Or was it someone else? Uh, that was that was actually me. Yeah. Oh, but I remember one of the things talking about difficult games earlier in the podcast but trials of mana one of the things that was that it was kind of generally criticized for was its level of difficulty not really being there like yeah lack thereof (laughs) yeah so now there is a no future difficulty mode uh which basically uh let's see if details here because it was introduced in other mana games so some of the implementation might be slightly different but it's only selectable in new game plus um, the number of items that you can use in battle is limited to three. Uh, let's see. Time limits for boss battles. I and guess it's, it's also, just... 
there, there's also very hard, which is different from no future. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like Fire Emblem where there's maddening difficulty, then also classic mode. They're two different, two different types of difficulty being added to the game. So yeah, there's the no future mode, which has these sort of limitations in place. And then there's just the very hard difficulty level selectable from new game plus. Uh, so there's, yeah, a few ways to basically tune up the game for a replay if you really want to have that challenging experience and really dive into the battle system in place without uh, just being able to steamroll through it. They also yeah. did announce that um, one, yeah. one of the one of the weird limitations, this is uh, the last thing I'll say here, is that when you had earned costumes in the game, you could not use them on New Game Plus before. But uh, now you can. You can inherit the costumes that have been previously unlocked. So yeah, another that, reason to start another game. I think I, I enjoyed Trials of Manor enough that the prospect of a replay is like a positive one. Like I definitely consider it, but I'm of the mindset where like I enjoyed the world and universe enough that I wouldn't mind just like more games. Like I think I'd prefer something new. Like it's it's really cool for the people that loved Trials of Manor like that much to keep having more content. But like I think I'd take a, a new game any day. Yeah, and that's not to say that maybe they're they're working on a new game. There's just like a, an added extra just for the future. I mean, I don't really mind it either, but I do. I I'm with you that I do. I hope I hope this isn't the end. I hope it's sold well enough that they're working on something else, whether it's new or like yeah, completely, uh, or uh, maybe a remake of another Mana game. But yeah, just just something for Trials of Mana players, people who have already played it and want to revisit it this year or next year, and. Uh, just try something a little bit more challenging. It's there for them. So that, kind of definitely, cool... even, even on a hard mode, it was you were steamrolling by the back half of that game. So it's kind of a cool, unexpected update. That's nice to have. All right, here's a next gen update um, about Yakuza Like a Dragon. So we announced uh, last week or the week before that it was launching to line up with the Xbox Series X launch date on November 10th. Do I have that right? Or was it the PS5 one? Yeah, the, the Xbox Series X launch date, or Series X and S launch date on November 10th. They announced, oh, okay, originally it was November 12th, but they, they were moving those next-gen versions, Xbox next-gen versions, uh, up to November 10th. And, and now then... this update here is basically saying that all versions, with an asterisk, are moving up to the November 10th release date. So it's not like Xbox Series X version is going to have a head start. It's Xbox One, Xbox Series, X or S, or PlayStation 4, and, and PC. PC. Yeah. But the PS5 version will release on March 2nd of next year. We already knew it was coming later, but now we've got a date for it. And there has Quite been a lot of speculation about why is the PS5 version later. I don't think anything's really been nailed down. People have circumstantial evidence that it's a, that it's a Times exclusive, that they have a marketing deal with Microsoft, so they focused on the Xbox version first. So it's kind of a soft exclusive in that form. I don't think we really know for certain. We just know that the PS5 version is coming next March. It's kind of a, it's kind of a weird thing too, because like people are acting like they can't play the PS4 version of the game, uh, which is probably perfectly fine if it launched in Japan. And also, if they have a PS5, they can just like pop in or use the PS4 version of that game till the. Um, Game comes out on PS5, and they did announce that di the digital version of Yakuza Like a Dragon will get the next-gen enhancements for free. Um, if you and have the they PS4 did, they did, and they did also say that um, was 
the data the, the save uh, transfer won't happen for physical oh reasons. yeah wait is it only for physical uh, no i think that's, so. i think that's general oh general i'm not sure yeah, oh, it's, been, it's been very unclear. Yeah, it's been very unclear. Like they, like I think part of this message has been very muddied. But like, they, they. All right, I, I've, got, I've got the tweet up. Okay, uh, tweeted on September twenty eighth. To clarify, physical owners of Like a Dragon on PlayStation Four can use their disc to update to the PS Five version on March second, but save data will not be transferable. How about so the digital it... version of PS Four? Yeah, that's still not really clear, is it? Like that's the whole problem with generation coming up. Like we don't. I'm, know. I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking uh, at the replies, and it's still a lot of like speculation. Where it's just like my understanding is that the PS4 and PS5 versions will have different save architecture, but that's just speculation on the replier's part. So yeah, it's really been quite a mess. Okay, so but we, but but I know it's frustrating okay. for people who really want to like they've already got their PS5 pre-order. They'd love to play this game on November 10th on the PS5. Yeah, and like, and there really is no like exclusives have been a part of this industry, whether it's a paid for exclusive or we only have the manpower to create one version of the game first. Whichever way it is, the results kind of the same. I guess I always kind of tend to think more long term, or like by this time next year, is anyone really going to care that much if you play the PS5 version of the game? You know, a hundred days apart. I don't know. I just I always feel like. Once that period passes, it just seems so much less important. Like I played the PC version of Trails of Cold Steel 2, just off the top of my head. That came out after the PS3 version. I don't remember how long after. Like at this point, it doesn't matter. So <laughs> like that's kind of how I think of it. I think of things like in terms of years and less in terms of months. And I know it still is frustrating and people want to play it this year, but you know. We don't know the reason for why it's delayed. Not really. We can speculate. We have some evidence, but we can't say for certain. But you can get the PS4 version and play it on PS5. Just know that. Be careful with your save data because those details have not really been made clear. Another early October release coming out next week, next Tuesday, I believe, is the early access release of Baldur's Gate 3. And they recently had um, a Larian Gazette update talking about basically what races and characters will be available in the early access release. Now, they already kind of talked a little bit about their goal for the, for the early access in that they, they want it to be kind of substantial. They say that it should be about 20 to 25 hours. But they also mentioned that part of the part of the idea here is, is that they want people to replay it. I think Larian, Larian loves to do this. They did it for Divinity and they've done it for um, Baldur's Gate. They love to talk about how many lines of dialogue are in their game. I remember writing news posts for Divinity Original Sin 2 and they're talking about how they have so much more dialogue in 2 compared to 1. I don't remember exactly what the numbers were. But they did the same here. And the idea is what they were going for is they 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 want the implementation to be that if I play through the early access as a certain type of character and then if, I don't know, George plays through it as another type of character, we might see some very different characters, some very different stories, someone that I might interact with and have quests for, someone else might just fight because they're on opposing sides and they never talk to this person. Obviously, a lot of that might be like marketing kind of mumbo jumbo, but it'll be interesting to see like how well the implementation actually matches up. And it'll also be interesting to see kind of 
how buggy the game is because Larian has not been afraid to say like, yes, this is a work in development. This is early access. We've done this before. It's proven. It's a proven process for us. But they they do want to make it very seem like it's very going to be very meaningful. There's still no word on a console release, is there? No, they've not officially announced for console. <laughs> so, but the, the track record is good for bringing the, their their stuff to other platforms. Yeah, and I th- I forget who the porting teams were specifically, but I do know that those console versions were published by um, Bandai Namco, I believe. So. Uh, because I remember it felt kind of weird, like at E3 two years ago or whatever, they would have like DBZ and Jump Force and other things at their booth. And I think like Code Bane. And then in the corner, it was the console version of Divinity Original Sin 2. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, not not announced, but I think it's something you can kind of expect over the next couple of years just because that audience has proven to be there. Um, I guess I'd go over the uh, the announced races that you'll be able to select and the announced classes. So I don't know if they've detailed what the full list is going to be for the full game. But for this early access release, the races are Human, Githyanki, Elf, Drow, Half-Elf, Dwarf, Halfling, and Tiefling. And like some of those I'm more familiar with than others. A lot of them kind of cross-pollinate a lot of these D&D, you know, rooted games. Uh, And then all these will also have various sub-races. So basically, there's you can already see there's going to be a ton of options there just in terms of your race. In terms of classes... There are Cleric, Fighter, Ranger, Rogue, Warlock, and Wizard, each with at least two subclasses. So you can already see here that there's going to be a laundry list of options available in terms of your character builds and things like that. Um, And they've also, I don't know if they've really kind of emphasized this for the early access release, but one thing that they have really tried to focus on, and part of the reason why it's coming to Stadia, uh, is they want to really focus on co-op, which obviously the Divinity games also had, but uh, this game will have kind of that two-player system where you can kind of go through the game with a friend uh, from start to finish, ideally. So I'm not sure exactly if it'll be fully implemented for the early access release. I'm not even sure if that's really the way I'd like to play these sorts of games because I'm kind of a night owl and I tend to play these like from 11 p.m. to early in the morning. So I don't think I'll be able to even find someone to play with me along those times. But uh, I'm interested. I don't normally go into early access release, but releases. But this one, I, I think I might actually try just because it, it seems like they're really trying to make this kind of like a a very meaty look at what the game will eventually end up being. Yeah, I want to check it out too. I hope I have en- enough time in my schedule to fit it in, but we'll see. One thing I do kind of like about what they've shown with this game so far is that. Obviously, it still has the roots in classic Baldur's Gate in terms of how it plays, even though it is um, more purely turn-based now. But some of the like the um, production values on this, if you just look at like the character creator, like it looks really nice. I think. Where sometimes you have the stigma where it's like, oh, it plays isometric. It's a low-budget thing. It's not you know third-person over the shoulder. Therefore, you know, I don't want to play it on my console. But they've really kept faithful to that. They're like, no, this is a Baldur's Gate game. It's going to at least look like one uh from a surface level so i hope that these kind of high budget and we kind of also saw this a little bit with wasteland 3 as well i I hope high budget isometric rpgs persist i hope it's not something that developers feel like they have to outgrow or you know um graduate from because i do think that they kind of present a sort of a style of game that isn't quite captured when you take games into the purely third person 
if any if anyone in this day and age is going to make a new Baldur's Gate, it'd be them. Like they're they're one of the very few I trust with this property. Yeah, I know some people when it was first announced are like, "Oh, this just looks like Divinity Baldur's Gate edition." But it's like, well, considering how much time has passed, how many developers have moved, and talent has shifted around, like I'm I'm okay to take a different take on the idea. Sticking with Western RPGs, this one kind of a recent addition to the RPG family, uh, Assassin's Creed. So we got a story a story trailer for Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which obviously focuses on you know the Norse Vikings uh, invading uh, what's pre pre democracy England. Uh, so I don't know. I think George is the one that's most interested of this game. This trailer still kind of goes into this weird framework of how Vikings are not pirates or pillagers, but they're like fighting for something more noble than that. It's, it's yeah. kind of, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's an incorrect framework, but um, part of this trailer, it's how long is it? It's like two, it's like two minutes, 30 seconds of just introducing the characters and just kind of giving a general premise. Um, they talk about how they're going to the land of England and how it has these already existing kingdoms and they they are not going to willingly give up their land and then like the voiceover says like i am not afraid of any man who will cause my people harm it's like but you're the one invading them <laughs> like uh, assassin's creed no for historical accuracy yeah like it, it, this is probably the worst it's been though like, <laughs> like yeah this is but it is interesting i what? this the story doesn't do like too much for me like I'm already on board with the game, so you know, like it's, it's just showing me more of of it. But I will say that they they make a big point of this this character who's sort of like Avor's like best friend, I guess. Like they're sort of like uh, it's almost like they're both Sigurd. both of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they make a point like, oh, you'll never leave my side, and it's like they're totally gonna. That's gonna be the final boss. The like, red flag, Siren's going on. Narrator voice. They left your side. <laughs> But the thing is, yeah, is like I'm I'm not a his, like I'm not a historian. I can't go through this trailer and point out the inaccuracies. I don't really know the details that well. But I just felt like, what is the what is the um, why not just make a game where you're playing as pillagers and Vikings? Like you don't have to give this sort of noble endeavor to it. Like is that a requirement? Like would it have been okay if they just said like, yeah, you're a bunch of you're a bunch of assholes. Like that's fine. Like I think. For Assassin's Creed, then they'll never really be there. Like the the only time they really did it was for uh, Assassin's Creed Rogue, where you played as a Templar, and even then he wasn't really that much of a dick. Like I think they'll never go that far. I think you'll always be playing as like uh, an anti-hero at best, rather than what the Vikings were, which is pretty awful. <laughs> One of these days, I'll eventually sit down and actively play an Assassin's Creed. Actually, uh, a friend of mine um, got a code for Valhalla with their CPU and then won it. So I actually do have a copy waiting for me. But uh, sure. they are good fun. Um, play it. They're, they're big games, though. Like it is. Yeah, it is I, a I always hear horror stories about like I'm in hour two hundred of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Oh yeah. Well, it's mostly Odyssey that kind of has that. Um, like even Origins wasn't that bad, but like. For whatever reason, Odyssey is just like this behemoth from everything I can, like I've heard about it. Like, I think I mentioned that like one of my friends has been playing through the series, and he's just been, holy crap! Why is Odyssey so large? Yeah, 
That's the, that's the uh, I, I think I heard before that they were like, oh yeah, it's going to be smaller. And then they were like, actually, no, it's not. Well, I think, what they're, I think what they're trying to do there is that there are some people who, you know, unambiguously believe and truly feel that more is always better. And like, that's fine. Like people will have their own inclinations. But and, but then some people are just like, man, that's just too long. I need it to be pared down and more buffed out and polished. And they're like, well, they kind of, I feel like they're just trying to like whisper sweet nothings in both ears, I guess. <laughs> or they're just like, no worry, don't worry. We're scaling it back, but it's still huge, but we're scaling it back. But it's gigantic. <laughs> it's just like, they're just trying, trying to say both things. I bet the main story's a little bit easier to reach the end of. And then the side content's like just as big. I'd be fine with that though. Like as long as I can get to the the sort of main path like pretty easily i'll be happy i'm interested to see basically uh so this is basically the third in this new paradigm of assassin's creed where we've started covering them as rpgs even though some people might argue that they're really only surface level damage floaters and levels um but i am interested to see where they go for the next entry where it's not cross-gen you know it'll be well into this new incubation period will they they're really gonna go gonna try to turn-based rpg i would do it <laughs> I, I would i would be isometric RPG. <laughs> that would never happen but I, I would play that but this game i'm just kind of like eh. like if you really loved origin and odyssey i'm sure that this will be kind of like the biggest refinement on those now that they've had a few you know plate appearances but like i'm kind of starting to see like eh, you know those have kind of passed me by i'm not super on board with this on the setting like it, it seems fine like i'm not saying it looks bad i'm just like all right, do I have 100 hours to put into this this fall? Maybe not. But I'm really curious just to see, like, what's the next shift going to be? And maybe if it correlates with a, a next-gen, like, exclusive version in two years or whenever it next rears its head. So this one I'm interested in kind of just seeing how well it does, seeing how the, um, the kind of the lukewarm, seemingly, reception so far has been. But I'm sure it'll still, even though it's Assassin's Creed, it'll still sell gangbusters. But it'll be interesting to see if it like people really think it is a step up from uh from Origin or Odyssey. The next update, also from the Western RPG front, is a, a kind of a development update from Diablo 4. So Diablo 4, which kind of is already in a weird space being kind of announced on the heels of Diablo Immortal, which is that out yet, by the way? Wasn't it originally slated oh, for this yeah. winter? Uh, Diablo Immortal is still nowhere to be found. It's it's there for pre-registration and whatnot, and on like Google uh, Play, but it's it it exists technically. So so Diablo Four is obviously kind of announced as the don't don't worry don't worry here's Diablo Four, and they've been having a uh, quarterly updates, just trying to like very honest looks at you know behind the scenes of how the game is uh, progressing. So no, still no details on a launch or release. It's been announced for PC, PS4, and Xbox. I assume. We're still always out, and those will eventually slide up to next-gen versions, but that's speculation. But here they talked a little bit about just uh, skill trees and talents and a few uh, class-based systems. So when the game was first announced, they announced that the Barbarian would have like a system called Arsenal, where they have kind of additional weapon options that the other classes don't have. And then here they're saying they're, they're thinking about what they can do with the other classes, and what they've come up with so far is the sorcerer, sorceress being able to enchant items. So they talk a little bit about skill trees. They talk about active skills versus passive skills. And then they talk about how the sorcerer will be able to 
use these active abilities such as meteor or whatever and and put them into a kind of a different instead of using it as an active skill they can use it kind of more passively as an enchantment so it's a little bit like of a you can read the blog post we have it up on the site if you want it's a little bit kind of more like systems heavy and you know something gearheads would really like but it shows that they're really trying to say like we're not just iterating on what was there before we want it to be somewhat different um the diablo 3 system they didn't really have in my memory much in the way of skill trees uh, you would have... it, it was very it was very diluted in the diablo yeah. 3 because everybody kind of fell into the same itemization trap like i think i think the the one thing here that excited me was like them like pondering over should magic quality items have higher affixed stats than rare items because that's magic items having better affixes than rares is like how Diablo 2 worked and that made like for very interesting itemization options uh in that game like I'm not really too sure about the the enchant system and the new passive tree but like uh, they're they're acknowledging like the right questions to me uh like it kind of gives me I don't know. I don't know if hope is a strong word, but it, it kind of gives me, you know, a little bit of uh, positivity about the game. Like, they're at least they're considering how do they uh, dodge or the the, the, the same kind of traps that they fell into Diablo three. One well, the example that they give is really not that compelling, though. So they say, for instance, uh, a sorceress might be able to learn the spell Meteor. Uh, if you're act- if you're using it as a standard skill, you're allowed you're able to call a fiery chunk of rock from the sky. If you slot it as an enchantment, you won't be able to call it, but it'll fall onto enemies periodically. Like to me, that's just like okay, that's like yeah. Like I said like that 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 part of it is kind of like whatever. I'm more focused on the like the 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 itemization considerations. Like oh uh, yeah, uh, like like skills skills will be skills, but like what makes them interesting is like what kind of uh, items you slot into really enhance their uh, your damage output and, and they did talk a little bit how they're still thinking about how many stats are on the character build and how many stats are on the items like in terms of like percentage but uh, i just i just call that cool. meteor example because to me that just seems like so boring like do i slot the meteor in a place where i cast it or do i slot it in a place where it casts itself like i would have been more interested if it's like if you cast the meteor as an enchantment you now have a chance to like knock down enemies, you know, with a certain percentage chance or something, something a little bit more different than just it casts itself periodically. That just that just seems really boring to me. But I, I like the I like the enchantment system idea in principle. The idea that you're trading off between being able to cast an ability or use it passively instead. Just the specific example I gave is just not a good one. I don't think. But yeah, um, just a quarterly update. No. No further details about like a release window or anything like that. Just it's kind of cool sometimes just to read through these and just see like the sort of thought process that goes into it, how they're taking feedback, what feedback they're considering, what feedback they're not at the moment, things like that. Yeah, well, it's still it's still pretty early days. There's still no firm release date or anything on this game. So the last the last news posts here are a lot of, a little bit more just smaller updates, some footage and things like that. Um, we got this, some. Hmm? This is TGS stuff. 
Oh, okay. Uh, so we got some details about Scarlet Nexus, which I kind of wish Adam was here because he's been surprisingly like the go-to point for this game because he had the preview opportunity for it. But they announced that uh, Kasane, if I'm pronouncing that right, Kasane Randall will also be a playable character uh, for the game alongside Yuito. So outside of that, I really don't know what was shown here, but they, they got a new trailer from Tokyo Game Show showing that this will have multiple playable characters, even though it might suggest that it might just be in a limited fashion. So uh, yeah, like, me, me and Adam were talking about that. We're not, we're not really sure of, like, how significant Kasane's, like, role will be in the game. Like, the way they word it, it feels like it's, she, like she's technically another character you can play in the game, but we don't know to what extent if it's, like, going to be just, if she's actually a substantial part of the game. Or if it's going to be like, oh, here's her chapter of the game, and it's like a small one. It's like, okay, you technically played her, but you know, it's a, it, it's kind of the 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 new trailer they put out. She seems to be like a rival character to uh, Yuito, the the main dude. And they also announced just some more um, secondary characters: uh, Sugumi, Gemma, and Luca. And they, you know, each of them got a nice artwork and a nice bio, and we have them up on the site uh, if you want to look at them. So just kind of. They're in, it's in that phase of the marketing now where they're like fleshing out the cast and these are the people you'll meet and here's here's a general rundown of their like their tendencies and their characterization. Uh, what I really liked from uh, their presentation, of the, uh, uh, their live stream on Scarlet Nexus was they actually showed off like a substantial amount of gameplay, like maybe like eight to ten minutes, but it was like it was like Enough. actual play in the game. There's like a gameplay demonstration. There's not it's not like all buttered up or covered up like without the UI. It's like you actually got to see. What this game actually looks like in action, what are your limitations on abilities? Like, how does that, what kind of meters are you working with? It looks really cool in action. Uh, like, with the character cut ins of your partner character, like, you know, uh, to help you out uh, with their skills and whatnot. It actually, like, I was actually more interested in the game now that I actually saw, like, what real gameplay looked like. Yeah. Uh, and they also showed off, like, the, a, a partial, like, uh, not, not quite finished illustration of the cover art of the game. And, fine too but but what really caught my eye for the new um scarlet nexus stuff is when they showed off the game for real yeah so still no release window on it but it's uh basically coming out to everything pc xbox i think one and series yeah it's a yeah it's, oh yeah it's play, still, play it in four play it in five so yeah pretty much everything except uh everything. Switch. switch yeah everything <laughs> not stadia everything. either oh right not, not not Luma or Luna. What was Amazon's thing? It was uh, it was Luna. I remember because people were making um Final Fantasy fifteen uh, jokes about it. Oh right, of course. I was just thinking another, I was like, hmm. Go another on. Bandai Namco game. Uh, we got some details about the first DLC to Sword on Online, Sword Art Online, Alicization, Lysaurus. Really, yeah, like <laughs> yeah, I got you got it. Yes, I uh, can do this. So I've right. read I've read some surprisingly positive things about this game, except that it launched like as kind of a really messy state. But I've heard that it's really kind of huge and ambitious. I know you put a little, or I think I know that you put a little bit of time into it. Is that true? Yeah, I put about like twenty five to thirty hours into it. Oh no, just a, just a tiny bit of time. A little bit, yeah, just a tiny <laughs> bit. It's it's yeah, it's a surprisingly solid game. Um, this is. Uh, this update, uh, they went into like the free and paid content uh, to it uh, because they're gonna have like uh, like additional story episodes of like side stories for the other characters. They have like different arcs for them. Um, this is really cool for uh, my dumb nerd self 
because uh, these uh, episodes are going to have guest writers. Uh, some of them are like really like well-known ma- like manga authors in Japan. Like uh, the the full lineup that they shared at TGS was Kana Akatsuki, who wrote Violet Evergarden, Matsuri Akaneya, who did Alice Reloaded, and Gunsnark, who did Attack on Titan, No Regrets, which is like a spinoff manga. So they actually have like like real like guest uh, writer talent uh, going into these. Um, what else do I remember from the TGS presentation? They're gonna have free DLC coming next year that'll add all the game original heroines from past games into it because the Sword Art Online games are they they do follow the source material up to a point, but they had to have their own original game twist to it, and uh, some of that is uh, game original characters. Uh, to them that some people uh, you know have taken a liking to so they're just uh bringing them all back uh, into yes. the new ones so, yeah so the free updates are called ancient apostles followed by like a subtitle and i've actually followed like sword online online for like the first two seasons or i'm not sure how they're how they're specifically divvied up but they said that the first one is called reaper of the woods which is coming out this fall and will feature sign on i'm like oh i know who that is and the three other ones will feature silica Yes and Alice, and I'm like, I know who Silica is. I'm not sure about the other two, <laughs> but I'm yeah, sure people who are like the other two. I'm sure people who are like really in tune with the series will like have already circled the one that they're most excited for based on you know which characters like the best. But I think I think the weirdest part of like the upcoming updates for this uh, game is they're gonna allow you to just skip the first like substantial like the first chapter of the game, which is like kind of like a, a substantial chunk of like the early game, just to get to the game original content because. The, how the game is structured is it pretty much follows the elicitation story arc of like you know Kirito getting spirited away, let's say, to this uh, virtual reality esque world. It's kind of it's, it's not quite like the first arc uh, of the game, um, but, and he kind of it, it's a very slow beginning because it starts off with his uh, him meeting Yu-Gi-Oh, and they start off in uh, town, and then eventually go, uh, that first chapter goes up to the point where they. Uh, trained themselves as knights to fight this administrator, uh, a boss of the world, uh, human world, and the, it, it's like that's it, the entirety of like the first like uh, season of elicitation on the t- TV anime, and that's like a pretty important part of it. And I actually liked like the ramp up to it, and I th- I thought the the game did an all right job like getting up to that point on that. And I think where it really lost me was the the chapter after it where it goes to the game original content because the game's structure um really starts slowing down like the pace of it starts slowing down and things diverge from the source material so it doesn't go to the underworld arc of the of the game where after you beat the administrator uh and different things happen in the game and but it really slows down the pacing of the game it kind of becomes like a more open world kind of generic side quest oh take care of this thing that's happening in the world type deal that it started kind of losing me uh so that that that's a weird decision because i'm like why would you take out like why would you give people the option to like skip like what i thought was like kind of one of the more compelling parts of it even though the begin- very beginning was slow to get there so we've got the four additional scenarios uh on the way with the first coming this year they also announced the first paid dlc called blooming of a forget me not which, without a lot of details, except that it does seem to to involve UJO and UGO and the um, Alicization storyline, I don't know if it's going to be game original or if it's something that's yet to cover from the from the anime slash books. 
but they they released a trailer basically covering both aspects of the first free update with sign-on and the first paid update uh, with EJO. So yeah, a lot of a lot of you know post-release content, both free and paid, coming to this game. So uh, I'm sure yeah. Sword Art Sword Art Online fans are eating good. Uh, James. Yeah, it's like the Sword Art Online games. I've always heard that they're like surprisingly good. And like for this one specifically, besides like the issues I've heard about, like at launch where it was like incredibly buggy, like the most recent thing I heard is that apparently there was like a hidden like character ending that only like one person got if you did like very, very specific things. And then like once somebody got it, they made it like much more clear how you could get it. It's like that's actually incredibly cool. So. This is this is a very particular personal anecdote, but I I was in a Discord channel where there's this one person that always seems to love to like seek out those little low budget double A single A RPGs, and he was over the past couple of years he's talked up like uh, Pathfinder and Greedfall, and I think a little bit of Wasteland, even though that's not quite as low budget. But then like all of a sudden he was talking about this game, and it's just like what I wasn't expecting that, but that, that's what kind of first got my eye on it, where it's like man, this is like you know doing something. It's not just a game purely for fans of the series obviously it is also that but you know this guy was finding a lot of enjoyment out of it despite not really seemingly having played a lot of similar games or games that are just uh, anime adaption tie-in rpgs or whatever you want to call it so uh it seems like it has a lot going for it um so it's cool that it's gonna that it's gonna see a lot of support over the next year it seems like we also got a uh, Western release announcement for Dragon Quest Tact, which is a tactical RPG focused on Dragon Quest. I know you probably didn't need me to elucidate that, but I, I will anyway. Uh, coming, uh, It's on mobile devices coming next year for the West. It did release this year in Japan in July. Yeah, so, um, this is cool. This is cool. Um, I, I wish Dragon Quest Walk would come over too, which is like the Pokemon yeah. Go uh, version of Dragon Quest, but that like current circumstances in the world today probably wouldn't make that a great idea. Um, but that's a I I, I hope Dragon Quest Walk comes over. But the Dragon Quest Tact uh, looks really cool. The footage that I saw of it's kind of a a strategy grid based uh, RPG uh, with uh, Dragon Quest monsters. It's not like characters that you have. It's like it's actually like Dragon Quest monsters that you use. It's kind of like uh like a pokemon layout that you have and you have monsters going up against each other it looks really fun it looks really cute i want to give it a try obviously this will probably i think it has a gotcha system for the monsters i'm not really too sure on like the finer details when i was like keeping up with the news on it in japan it was like it's one of those things like ah this looks cute it's the sort of game where it seems like it's kind of well-suited for a mobile game. Just kind of like a simple idea, like, what if Dragon Quest was a tactical game? Here it is. Just try it out. Just some like experimental, fun little thing. So uh, it looks it looks interesting enough for what it is. So it'll be interesting to see if Dragon Quest's kind of elevated status over the last couple of years in the West. Well, it'll be interesting to see how well this does as they uh, as a mobile release in that IP. And then if it does well enough, they'll bring over Walk for sure. Man, I, my, my life's gonna end if Walk comes over. Me, me and Cullen, we're, we're done. We're, and probably Liz also, we're done. And the last update we have is just a very simple one. Uh, that Torchlight 3, which released on Early Access earlier this year, will have its full release uh, on October 13th, so a little over a week away, for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Steam. So yeah, this has I don't been know how... for a while, and on Steam, I think, 
or was it Epic Game Store? I forgot. It's been early in early access for a few it, months. It, it's I think I know it's on Steam. I don't know if it's also on Epic, but it is coming out of early access alongside the console release. Now, unfortunately, I just know that the early access release has not really been perceived well. If you read reviews, <laughs> if you read reviews, you're like this isn't Torchlight because it because it wasn't at first. It was originally called something else. Torchlight uh, Frontiers, I think it originally started out as. So I a think... lot of people, a lot of people like I've seen it actually to tie this into an early topic, like this is the Diablo three of Torchlight or stuff like that, where it's just like, mm-hmm. I guess people who have been fans of the first two games, which are kind of older now, but they had a pretty vocal following when they were first released as like these cool different takes on that style of game. Um, I'm not t- convinced that like the vast majority of PC gamers don't own a copy of Torchlight two somewhere that they just don't remember how they even got it. It's yeah, given it's so many times. Yeah, it's been bummed. I, th- I think I own those, and I hardly ever buy like bundles. Like, you accidentally end up with this in your library, uh, one and two, that is. But yeah, yep. so um, it's releasing in a couple weeks. I don't know if we'll really have the bandwidth or, or inclination to look at it. Uh, so I guess we'll, we'll keep an eye on it to see if people end up being pleasantly surprised or if it ends up being like still just the lukewarm reception from early access just carries into launch because i think it is still let me actually check right now i was going to see if it's still yeah it is still mixed on steam 47 percent of the reviews are positive so um some of those people you might just think like well they just they just have this expectation for what the first two games were like and they're not giving this one a fair shake uh but I, but you know it to some extent you a lot of people have just not enjoyed their time with the early access period so hopefully hopefully impressions turn around on release but you know we'll just have to see who knows yep uh the one thing i know about the game from watching a friend play was you can have like a train as a pet like uh like you lay down tracks in battle for that train to like go through (laughs) and run down enemies that was the one funny thing game of the year If you have if you have uh, more detailed opinions on Torchlight Three, uh, let us know. All right, and that uh, oh, you added something here uh, about the Live Alive, or is it Live Alive? You told me what it was, and I forgot what it was. Live Alive, yes. Uh, the so they had an anniversary uh, event just earlier today. Tell me about how that went. Yeah, so out of nowhere, Square Enix decided to celebrate the 26th anniversary of Live Alive. The uh, came out in 1994 for the Super Nintendo. I think it got a virtual console release on Wii U, but it never really, it never officially got localized outside of Japan. There was a fan translation of it uh, and whatnot, but we're like, okay, this is a weird one to like announce the 26th anniversary live stream for, but surely they'll they'll announce something because this is so out of nowhere. They also uh, teased a surprise during the presentation. Yeah, and then, then like they had uh, Live Alive uh, trademarks earlier this year for like Europe and Australia, so we're like, okay, this is this is go time. They're gonna officially localize it now, right? This has to be the stream, right? And they tease right. the surprise Brian mentioned, and I'm like, okay, let's let's go, let's make up at 4 a.m. my time, and let's do it. So uh, earlier today, at the time of this recording, I um I watched it. And then they were talking about, you know, kind of like developer banter. The, the, the panel they had was really cool. They had um, the Live Alive director, Takeshi Tokita, the battle director, Nobuyuki Inoue, uh, the composer, Yokoshi Mamura. That's a lot of people who might know. 
um, pixel artist uh, Kazuyuki Kurashima, and uh, they had a comic uh, from the comic duo Penguins. They have Nobuo uh, there to kind of oversee it. Um, so they kind of spoke, and then they're like, "All right, here's the surprise." I'm like, "All right, here's the surprise. Let's go." They're like we're gonna do a group watch of last year's uh, concert that celebrated the 25th anniversary that was held in Shinjuku. We're gonna watch like 95 percent of it. We're like, okay, shortly there's gonna be something else after this, and then a lot of time passed by, and the, the live performances are great. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, the live, like the live alive concert last year is really good. Yeah, uh, last year's anniversary sure seemed great as you watched it yeah. this year. Yeah, I was like, oh man, that sax player's a god. And then, okay, then they're gonna announce something after this, right? They're like, okay, we're gonna read this fan mail. I'm like, okay, they're reading fan email, and like. One of the fan emails was like they referred to to as androids, uh, as the, and the, it was basically the message was in English. The host uh, read it out in English, uh, and it was basically the fan asking, "Can you please like officially localize uh, Live Alive in the West, like how you did for Romantic Saga Three? Uh, I would really like you know a, a old classic turn based RPG after a lot of like action games in the market, and then." They were like, okay, that's the fan mail. Thanks for joining us. And then, like, nothing actually got announced in it at all besides that group watch. And that's it. So, so we. The surprise was the opportunity to watch last year's concert with a live panel of a lot of cool characters for sure, but nothing nothing announced in terms of a release, support, localization, a follow up. I just don't get why you'd like read that and then like not follow it up with like an announcement or anything at that time. And I feel I feel like this is a question of when, not if, like because you know, Romantic Saga 3 got here, they're the putting out the collection of the saga collection. They localize, you know, Seiken Detsetsu 3, the collection of Mana. Like it I feel like it's definitely gonna happen with their trajectory the moment, but it's just like this was the time to do it. Why would you do this if like not now? I don't get it. Yeah, it's just and they, they just set their expectations in a weird spot with the trademarks and with the um, surprise tease hint. So, like, you just you don't do an anniversary stream broadcast out of nowhere celebrating a game's 26th anniversary and out of nowhere. I just, just, I don't know. I don't get it. So, uh, <laughs> nothing further to announce about Live Alive, sadly. Square, <laughs> why do you eat? <laughs> Why do you string us along like this, Square? <laughs> I played me like a fiddle, man. I was like, I'm going to get some of my hours of sleep back. Fuck watching this Steven Alex live stream coming up in an hour. I'm going to go sleep. And then you For go back sleep. to bed and wake up and get to vent about it here. Yep. That's my life now. And with that, we're about to let you go because that covers all the topics from this week. So, uh, no big bombshell announcement or, or anything of that sort, but a lot of cool games in development that we get to talk about, a lot of cool games that have released that we think really strongly of that we've been able to play. I really want to fight Fatalis now, and I'm ready to lose to him over and over. Uh, so yeah, this is another good cast, I think. I'd say so, yeah. They have, we had everything. We had Mario, we had Crash, we had Live Alive. We had Final Fantasy. I guess Final Fantasy can join in. Got our good friends at Blizzard. Not really, though. Uh, Monster Hunter. <laughs> Monster so, Hunter. 
So obviously, uh, please uh, visit us on our website at rpgsite.net where we cover all of the news that we covered today, especially and especially a ton of coverage on Genshin. So if you want to try that out, it is free to play. We've got uh, a shit ton to say, frankly, guides of you know gear and quests and dialogue options and a few little hints and tips. Um, you can follow us on our Twitter page at rpgsite. You can uh, join our Discord by going to our webpage and hitting the link at the top of our homepage. You can follow us on Facebook, RPG Site Net, or YouTube, RPG Site Net. We just put up a, a little one-hour gameplay snippet of Wasteland 3, um, which maybe I'll talk about next week if time permits, but I am planning on, I think, writing up my thoughts on that into a formal review. Because on that video, I mentioned how that one had kind of fallen through the cracks, and we haven't managed to review it yet. So uh, I'd like to put my thoughts together on that. So now that I've stated it here, I'm obligated to, right? Yep, that's how it is. Anything you see, see it on the podcast, you have to see it out 100% fully or else the public will hate you forever. Yeah, I don't want that uh, monkey on my back. But yeah, uh, and then otherwise, we'll be back next week to talk about uh, maybe Baldur's Gate 3 and maybe Wasteland and we'll see what else. But until then, take care and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.